As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Wild Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, ex-girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your junk with anything other than Manscaped. Oh, that is scary. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Now, go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar. Yeah, you get it? And join the two million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED. Now, that's simply J-E-D, and you put that promo code in, they'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Have you ever tried to trim your junk and it turned into a Freddy Krueger film? (laughs) Well, luckily, Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with a new refined body wash. Fellas, 
the ladies love their signature scent, and it will scare away those vampires. So unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They've made it easy for you guys. Upgrade your grooming routine with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code JED, that's J-E-D, at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping. Doesn't get any better than that. Manscaped.com, promo code JED. Guys, say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, and sportsman drag racers. Big Jed, how are you, sir? Luke, I'm well. I'm very well, and I'm super excited about this show. This this sucker has it all. I mean, this, this is, show. <laughs> this is the catcher in the rye of podcasts of sportsman drag. You, yeah. you, as you've punched through, you have seen the length on this show, but it's jam-packed. Like, we have... If you've been following sportsman drag racing at all for the last week and a half, you know, we have a lot to discuss. We have opinions. We have results. We have opinions from other racers, specifically in this show. NHRA has handed down punishment on Hunter Patton. We discuss. We get million-dollar reflections with none other than Troy Williams Jr. How this started? I'm on my way home from the races. Uh, went to Bowling Green Sunday. I'm on my way home Sunday night. I get a text from Troy Williams Jr. says, quote, I want to come on the show. I want to help give a total breakdown of the drama at the million. To which I replied, T-Dub, the floor is yours. What we <laughs> yeah. can expect here, if you are familiar at all with Troy Williams Jr., you know that what you are about to get is both candid and honest and sure to be entertaining. And I'm just here to tell you right now, I think, Jed, you'll agree, Troy does not disappoint. No, he does not. Loved it. Loved you it. may Troy. not agree, but you will leave here knowing exactly where Troy stands. And Troy's got a, a he's got a, a, a very good view, a very good angle at these things. He he does it. There's no uh, there's no personal gain for him to have the opinion that he has. So it is just true reflection of how he feels. And it's generally, uh, you know, a a solid opinion that, uh, that I don't know is, is probably unpopular because people don't, don't live in the world he lives in. But again, Troy has got a really good view of, of what racing is about and what he's going to discuss in his, uh, and his time with us is something that I hope people listen to very clearly, especially you young ones. Well, he kind of singled the young ones out. Yeah. Sorry, um, no, it's, uh, I don't think love him or hate him, agree or disagree. It's hard to argue that there is anyone with a broader perspective of experience in big dollar bracket racing. Like Troy has lived this for 
30 plus years and he brings that perspective with him. I, I, it's a super interesting conversation on a ton of levels. Uh, be sure to check it out. It's, it's several minutes into the show. I think uh, Mark may have the, the exact time in the show notes, probably 40 minutes in. In addition, while we've got Troy on, we preview the Summit ET Finals. Uh, and the world championship that will be contested in Las Vegas this weekend. We preview all the contestants, both you, Jed, myself, mm-hmm. and Troy Williams Jr. Make our picks to uh, to win yeah. that championship. Uh, in addition, a uh, brief recap of the NHRA division race in Rockingham and its impact on the points chases in a couple of categories had a couple of clutch performances there, one of which um, is likely to cement the world championship. Uh, another came painfully close. We'll talk about that. Um, I did, I, I wanted to briefly follow up. We mentioned on last week's show that I would have Ashley on here to discuss, break down the this is bracketracing.com driver series. We, uh, we crowned the champions last show. That's again, Brian. McGinnis on the bottom bulb and co-champions Cooper Chun and Kurt Gross on the top. We said we'd have Ashley on this week to break that down in more detail. I'll be completely honest. This show's almost three hours long and I didn't want that to get lost in the shuffle. So Ashley will be on next week. Full breakdown. This is bracketracing.com driver series. Crown the champions. Go through the top 10. Stay tuned for that. Before we do that, Big Jet, I, I want to lead the show off with uh, uh story of my weekend i made the trip to music city raceway uh got to see my man money got a good story about that we'll rehash we'll rehash that uh in the opening here in just a couple minutes uh all that and more long long episode you you might if you're listening on your commute this one may take you a couple of days but i'm telling you it's worth it we got good stuff right but first he jizzle for shizzle Big Jed, we're back again. How are you, sir? Oh, Luke, I am well. I'm just really excited about Halloween and all the festivities. You know, we're doing a little junior dragster racing with a nephew. And, of course, baby girl is going to be trick-or-treating. And it's going to be a really good time. You guys headed to Montgomery? Yeah, yeah, we're headed to Montgomery to uh, Ben Willis' uh, Halloween Spooktacular. And uh, it'll be a $10,000 to win junior race. Pretty cool deal. Got my driver all tuned up and ready, so we're excited about that. Uh, you, uh, you yourself are uh, fresh and really fresh off of a, a little procedure. Hope, uh, hope that went well, and you're doing okay. I did. I, I was, uh, I was a rookie coming into the day. I'm no longer a rookie. I had my first colonoscopy today. As fun as that was, and and it, to your point, Chad, like that just goes to show how how invested I am in yes. the audience of this show. I'm literally three hours out of the hospital. I'm here for you. I'm here for yeah. it. That's big time, Luke. That's big time. Right, we've got a ton of hot button topics to cover in this show, as you might expect. And it's that time of year. It is, it is the two-hour podcast weekly time of year, right? And we're here for yes. it, right? As deep as we are going to get in some of this stuff today, I wanted to start off with a little bit of fun, all right? So... This past weekend, I ventured to the hill, Big Jed, Music City Raceway, which for those of you that have not been there, they say it's on top of a hill. I say it's on top of a cliff. 
<laughs> it is one of the more unique facilities in the nation. It's also one of my personal favorite places to race. If we revisit Big Jed, it was episode 180. If you want to go back through the archives, if you missed this, if you want to listen to it, that was released, I think, last April. Jed, that's actually more recent than I had envisioned. I thought it was several years ago. But a little over a year ago, we did an episode, and one of our bits in this episode, one of our one of our segments, was unsung track employees. And if you have ever been to Music City Raceway, you know that Money, the man who works the water box at Music City, had to appear on that list. I think in the minds of many, he would be the obvious number one on that list. Big Jed. You have, you have made at least an appearance at Music City. Obviously, money is unforgettable. Give the listener an idea of what we're talking about. Well, Luke, uh, you're, you're talking about, first and foremost, uh, somebody that loves their job. Okay? Loves their job. You, you, you have to imagine uh, how challenging and long the hours are, and you're right between two loud cars, and they're barking at you to, you know, I want this like this. Well, you didn't have to do that with money. Uh, money took pride in his work or takes pride in his work. And this guy's excited about his job and nothing more. Did, he enjoyed nothing more than to see the car come up and plant itself in the water box and do its thing. So it's just a guy that really, really enjoys his craft and it shows in his mannerisms and his attitude and everything else. And energy is not in short supply. To your point, Jed, the work, the physical toll that it takes to do that job cannot be understated. Like that is hard work. Sweeping the water box, pulling cars yes. in, like keeping up with everything. Like that, that it, particularly in the summer months, like it's a, it's a rough job. And money, I mean, from the first time trial to the final round, is winding racers up in the water and when it's time to release the line lock he is jumping up and down waving his arms let's go 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 i mean he is into it right yes energy not in short supply so long story short when we did this unsung track employees podcast i ranked money number two on my list behind another famous well-known track employee I, i ranked her number two behind rooster who has worked at Memphis and Holly Springs, right? Same, yeah, same role, same job. Exactly. Water and guy. I'll be honest, like they're not really one and two. They're like one A and one B in my book. And I think I even said as much on the episode when I ranked Rooster number one, it was simply because I had a better Rooster story than I did a money story. And I was trying <laughs> to tee that up, right? That, that was the deciding factor. So uh, let's circle back to this. This was last April. Last June, July, so two, three months after this episode aired, I made an appearance at Music City. I hadn't been in a long time. I, I, I like to go every year. Like, it's just one. I, I like the place. Okay. And so I roll in and money sees me, corners me, and is just full of praise. Man, thanks so much for mentioning me on the show. That means, means the world to me. I had a, a couple of people made me listen to it, man. That's awesome. Really appreciate the love, right? Nothing but love for money. I thought that's cool, man. Like he really, people actually listen to the show. Number one. Good and stuff. number two, 
Like he, he really appreciated. I'm down. Okay. So fast forward to last weekend, I go back and it's a slightly different story. Whereas a year oh. ago, money, super grateful to be mentioned. Now all of a sudden, money, like not happy to be number two. Uh oh. Not all about it. So to the point, and this is only in a way that, that money and Rick and the staff at Music City can do. So before I went down the track, I'm up there with my son Gary for the first junior dragster time trial. And if we do our thing and Gary makes his run and as I see him cross the finish line, I turn to walk off the track and money waves me over. And I said, Hey man, how are you? What's up? You know, good to see you. Gives me a hug. And then he produces this full eight by 11 sheet of paper and says, I don't know, man, you want to take a picture with me? I said, sure. Well, on the piece of paper is a huge number two. <laughs> like, I ain't gonna let you live that down. I cannot believe I was not number one. And I'm like, oh God, right? Here we go. And we turn around, Rick takes a picture of us from the tower. We yuck it up a little bit. I'm like, so the, the rest of the night, every time I see money, he's, he's either holding up the two fingers, like I'm number two, or he's you know telling me I'm number two. He's not gonna let me live down that I did not have him number one. <laughs> well, fast forward on through the night. As it winds up, I advance to the final round of the $5,000 to win Super Pro Race in my Vega, doing wheelies, having a blast. Opposite Todd Sensony. You may remember that name. Last year's runner-up at the Great American Guaranteed Million. Uh, obviously, highly decorated bracket, super class racer. Well, Todd got the best of me in the final. And I turn off the track, and I'm coming up the return road. And for whatever reason, it dawns on me. I'm like, damn it. Money's going to be in my picture with that freaking number two because i finished second didn't i <laughs> and sure enough i pull back into the staging lanes and there is money waiting on me grinning ear to ear with the number two on his chest so i have a loser <laughs> circle picture from music city <laughs> me and money and my family and some friends and the big number two so oh. ultimately big jed the joke is on me <laughs> yeah you're number two not money <laughs> absolutely i am number two good stuff <laughs> great story oh uh, so yeah shouts to money shouts to the loyal listeners in and around the nashville area got a lot of that at the hill so that, that's awesome and uh and money's great um yeah in retrospect i don't know if i say i should have money number one rooster's probably gonna get on me at some point so yeah money's awesome i don't think rooster listens to the podcast i think we're good I didn't think money did either. <laughs> All right. On to broader reaching topics, Big Jed. Obviously, the main topic of our last show and the biggest source of attention and debate in sportsman drag racing over the course of the last week has been Hunter Patton, his actions at the million, the... Um, punishment or lack thereof from that event. A lot of racers had opinions on that. And then most recently, uh, see, this was yesterday, I believe, NHRA weighs in. I'll just read the statement of action against participant. This is from the NHRAracer.com website. It says, it reads, 
the Hunter Patents license has been suspended until January 1, 2023, and until completion of anger management sessions after an unacceptable on-track action at South Georgia Motorsports Park, an NHRA member track, this action is appealable. Jed, when we talked last week, you said that you felt like there had to be repercussions. There should have been repercussions at the event. There had to be punishment. Is this what you had in mind? Uh, absolutely not, Luke. Um, you know, I guess in my mind, the punishment would have been handed down by the promoter. And understand, we'll hear a lot more about that. And, and maybe the, the story the promoter got wasn't 100% factual so about what happened but nonetheless uh, i really felt like it would be surrounded or, or be focused on that event only i didn't really think the punishment would be so widespread but obviously the nhra got involved and they might have felt like they had to to make a very bold statement here and and they did just that by eliminating Hunter from being able to compete at any of their sanctioned events until January 1st of 2023. There's a little bit of vague in that uh, statement of action, uh, but, uh, you know, definitely want to ask Troy Williams Jr. when he joins us about this, but I would, I would like to hear if, if this is for any class or just a licensed class, but it's interesting how they wrote that loop. But um, want to take just a minute and talk a little bit about last week and us sharing our thoughts on this. Somehow, some way, we've gotten to a point in society where if you share your opinion and you do it in any form of, of delicate fashion, it, it is misunderstood immensely. Um, somehow, some way, people have taken what we said as accepting what Hunter did as okay. And, you know, it, we, we were questioned for calling him a kid when he's a man and he made a grown man decision. You know, that stuff was loosely, those words were loosely used. You know, it, it's like if you don't say, by God, Hunter Patton ought to have both middle fingers cut off, his left big toe, one ear, uh, and never get to race again. That's the firm stance you have to take instead of saying, look, he did a really bad thing. It, it was a poor decision. It was poor judgment. And he has to be punished accordingly or should be punished accordingly. But I don't hate him. I don't want his livelihood to end forever. I don't want him to not get to come race good races. I don't want him pushed in a corner and told he's no good, that he's a sorry, low down piece of crap. I don't want any of that for Hunter. I want Hunter to get the punishment that he earned with his action and then be able to come back from it and move forward in life and, and be the great Hunter that I know. I lean on the hunter that I know, and that's the guy that I want to be back on the racetrack and doing great things and, and just continuing on with life and getting this behind him. But goodness, Luke, the internet is, a, is an unbelievable thing in terms of how 
you can be misunderstood because you don't take the hardest line you can possibly take on a, on a situation like this. And it's frustrating because I know both you and I don't condone that action that Hunter did. And, and we are fully on board with Hunter getting, I don't know about this NHRA thing. I don't know if I'm okay with that, but it is what it is. They get to make their own rules. But Hunter deserves punishment. But that's it. Punish him and let's move on. Yeah. He don't have to, he don't have to be the terrible person that people's making him out to be because he isn't. I mean, you took a lot of the words right out of my mouth, Jed. Like, just back to the the statement, the suspension from NHRA to begin with. Um, perhaps I, I I should have expected this, um, but I was blindsided by this. Like, I didn't I didn't see this coming. Right? Like I said, maybe I should have, but I, it, it I don't want to say it shocked me. Like, it surprised me to to see this on Wednesday morning, and. Again, like I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I, I feel like I spoke my piece last week, and my opinion really hasn't changed. But to your point, Jed, like I can't sit here and defend Hunter Patton. Like his actions are indefensible. Yes. And but in the in the narrow lens, if the goal of punishment, whether that come from the race promoters or come from the sanctioning body, if the goal of that is to punish Hunter to make sure that he's aware of the impact of his actions, to make sure that he's contrite, to make sure that he will never make the same mistake again, then I'll repeat what I said last week. Like, I think the punishment is largely unnecessary simply because there is no punishment that is going to hurt him more than living with this mistake. His reputation has been damaged, if not destroyed. A lot of his competitors don't trust him. Like, as a racer, I just don't think it gets any worse than that. Like, I don't think that you that you have an impact trying to penalize above and beyond the natural consequences of this. Again, that's my opinion, and and um, reasonable minds can disagree. And I will admit that at the same time, if you're taking the broader perspective here, NHRA's discipline sets a precedent. And the precedent is this will not be tolerated. This is not circle track racing, right? And if in that light, NHRA making an example of Hunter will help further ensure that this stuff, this this does not become commonplace, then it's hard to argue against it. If that's where the decision comes from, and I assume that on some level with NHRA that it does, I get it. Like you said, I'm not sure that I agree with it, but again, reasonable minds can disagree. At least I can follow the logic behind the suspension. And we'll get into here briefly, like what what does what exactly does this mean or what could it mean for Hunter Patton? But broadly speaking, kind of back to your point, Jed, what kind of makes me chuckle on the surface, but the more that I think about it, like just disappoints me, like bums me out on a deeper level is the outrage. Like, I feel like Troy's going to talk about this a little bit when we have him on, but it is our culture today. Like, obviously we see it in politics all the time. We don't vocalize our approval. It's like we're entitled to the things that make us happy, to the things that we agree with. And yet on the flip side, we get super vocal about 
anything that we disagree with on any level. We veer to outrage far more quickly than we do to gratitude or appreciation. It's as if we as a society wake up in the morning just praying for a reason to get pissed off. Nope, there it is today. Like, I can be mad about this, <laughs> right? And selfishly, like, I thought that within our, our little bubble of sportsman drag racing that, that we were somehow above that. But this makes it obvious, like, we're not, right? And, and I got to thinking just a little bit more broadly, like, obviously, when this goes down, um, what was it, Wednesday night at the Million Dollar Race, like, when Hunter did what he did, there is outrage, right? And, and perhaps that's justifiable, right? But then I think back a couple years ago uh, at the fling event in Bristol when Johnny Zell broke both lower frame rails, patched it up in the pits in like 30 minutes between rounds, right? And the fling staff made the decision not to allow him to continue, which again, it's not an apples to apples comparison by any means, but like this is sort of the polar opposite situation, decision, punishment, right? This is Pete and Kyle coming down on like, this is not the wild, wild west, right? Like there are rules here. Well, I'm sure at that time that there were racers saying, Poof, man, that's a good call. Like, I'm not sure that I would want to stage up beside a car that got propped up with floor jacks and, a, and fried together with a portable welder 20 minutes ago, right? Like, and, and that's pulling to the staging lines reinforced with ratchet straps. Like, there were racers that thought that, I'm sure. But that's not what I saw on the internet. That's not what I heard from anybody. By and large, I didn't hear from those racers. What we heard, outrage. How unfair it was to disqualify Johnny, to take away his chances to win that race. We heard that that decision was prejudiced. We heard that Pete and Kyle overstepped their bounds. Like... I'm not here to judge who is right or wrong. I'm just revisiting the sheer outrage at a decision that was the polar opposite of the decision made by the Folk family and yet received similar outrage on the other side. Fast forward to yesterday when NHRA comes down with their suspension of Hunter Patton. I didn't hear from the same people who were so outraged at his actions applauding that decision, going, good job, NHRA. You know what I saw? I saw outrage on the other side. This isn't fair. Free Hunter. To hell with NHRA. It's just everybody wants to be so upset. There's, there's, it's like there's no middle ground. And I feel like life is middle ground. It's, it's just an observation. Like I said, on the surface, it's funny. It's not really funny when you step back from it. Like I feel like it's kind of disturbing. There's just no common ground seemingly on anything. Oh, so very well said. It's, uh, you know, the, the middle ground has the least amount of people in it or it has the least amount of vocal people. Yeah, in it, I think uh, that's I think the majority of people still fall somewhere in the middle. But like you, the, the, it's it's the it's the the far ends of the spectrum that seem to to be the most passionate and give it the most voice yeah then in the middle ground has to be typically the most sensible uh group um you know they they probably tend to not argue so much especially in in public or on social media because you're going to hear from each extreme end 
uh, why you're wrong. Of you know, it, we live in a in an age where you can't just have your opinion. You have to have your opinion and tell me why my opinion's wrong. Um, so you know, I'm okay with you having your opinion, and and I respect it. And there's a good chance that that you're as right as I think I am, and I'm okay with that. I can have that debate with you. Yet that's not the world we live in. If I don't share your opinion, I have to be wrong, and here's why. And that's not really this is this is as subjective as it gets. This this situation has a has a high level of subjectivity in it, and you know it's debatable. I don't have an NHRA license. What if I did it? It's debatable about what would happen to me uh, in this situation and how I would be punished. NHRA takes my license away. The only one I have is the one that allows me to drive back and forth to work in the races. So I don't have that worry. So well, let's, again, let's unpack that a little bit because I, I don't really care at this point to spend any more time debating whether or not Hunter should have been punished. Like, I think that's tired. We, we said everything we were going to say la- last week. I want to spend a little bit of time on what this is and what it could mean for Hunter, specifically the NHRA suspension. And like I said before, this caught me off guard um, for two reasons. Number one, if this isn't unprecedented, it's highly uncommon for NHRA to come down in this manner for two reasons. The first, the length of the suspension is as long or longer. It's longer than any suspension that I have seen. And NHRA publishes these. Like they, they do like to make examples of these. It's on NHRAracer.com anytime that a competitor gets disciplinary action. Um, a year plus suspension is is rare. Like I've never seen that for anything that related to uh, anything other than like a, a drug suspension, uh, you know, a, a failed substance abuse test. Um, like I was thinking back, there was a, a racer shoot two decades ago, stock eliminator racer. They, they found the delay box in a, in a stalker. Like, I mean, a, a very egregious competitive you know, rules violation. Oh, sure. And I, I, he, he might've been suspended for a year. He might've been suspended for life. Like it was a, I remember thinking that obviously it was deserving, but that was a pretty harsh consequence. Um, I can't think of anything else like this. And you, and if you're sitting there making the argument, like none of those compared to what Hunter did, like, okay, I, I get that. It's still unique. And what's also really uncommon, if not unprecedented, and why I think this was so far off my radar is that I cannot personally recall an instance, certainly not in recent years, where NHRA has enforced discipline of any kind on anything that did not happen in the NHRA Camping World Series or the NHRA Lucas Oil Series. Like I've heard stories in the past of racers getting in a, in a, in a fist fight at a local bracket race and getting a letter from NHRA saying like, hey, your, your license has been revoked. But I don't remember anything like that being publicized in a long time. Like that's, I think what caught me most off guard is that NHRA usually typically just kind of lets this other world of bracket racing operate independent of itself. Um, so why here? Why now? Like, why is NHRA get involved in this? I do think like a lot of people want to say that Jed, this is because 
a racer or several racers, you know, blew the whistle. And I don't doubt that that's the case. Like given the outrage that we just talked about and the passion surrounding this issue that so many racers had, like I've seen it in emails and messages. I've obviously seen it on social media. I have no doubt that NHRA was inundated by um, feedback from its racers saying you have to do something about that. But I don't know necessarily that that was the catalyst for this punishment. I would argue that the million dollar race resonates. I just think that there, it garners so much attention, so many eyeballs. And let's be honest, like the name Hunter Patton resonates, right? Like this got a ton of attention to the point that I think it was on NHRA's radar. In fact, I know it was on NHRA's radar long before any racers reached out to NHRA officials. And, and I can say that because like literally the next morning, I personally was contacted by a couple of division directors, like just wanting clarification and, and perspective on what happened and how this could happen. Right. Like, that was that was before anybody reached out to them. So, in general, Jed, like I, I don't know if you disagree. Like I, I think, I think NHRA felt the need to do something even before this went viral, so to speak. Yeah, I agree, Luke, and I think you touched on on a couple of things that that probably led to the nhra getting involved obviously it was the member track it was south georgia motorsports park it is the million which for the last many years has been held at uh, at an nhra member track first montgomery now south georgia motorsports park um obviously i wasn't there this year and in, in in my retirement if you will but i know in uh, montgomery rich schaefer at the time was the division two director he would show up he would come to the million want to see what's going on and, and it like you said it resonates it it's uh it's an event that's on everybody's radar regardless of the type of of drag racing that that you enjoy i think everybody's aware of it i think another thing to work against hunter uh, is his relationship to uh, a very well-known nhra pro stock champion former pro stock champion. I think uh, his his visibility is at its highest within NHRA because he's racing with the Butner family and and Randy Lynn and, and you know, dating Randy Lynn's sister. So, uh, again, not saying any of that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it probably was a very unique situation for Hunter in terms of the visibility to this incident cause or that happened as a result of his uh of how well known he is uh through the circuit and big money bracket racing and certainly I, I think that that drew as much attention as this could possibly draw and that led the nhra to feel like we've got to do something we, we you know i'm sure somewhere in the discussion it was said we can't let a guy that lives with bo butner uh, get away with this and and look like we're allowing crazy things to happen due to relationships uh, allowing them to happen not not issuing punishment due to the relationship he has with people that are high up in our organization or high up in our uh, sanction so uh, i think a lot of things worked against hunter but the main thing that worked against him was a very silly dumb decision 
that he made and whatever comes his way, whether, whether I'm on fully on board with the NHRA's uh, suspension and their stance, none of that matters. It doesn't matter if I like it or if I agree with it because it's real and it's happening and Hunter's got to live with it, but Hunter can only look in the mirror and, and see the person that caused it all. So he will deal with this and he'll get it behind him and it'll be challenging and it'll be, it'll come with its share of ups and downs for sure, mostly downs, but he'll get it behind him. He'll be right back doing what he does. And uh, I hope that anyone and everyone judging, judging him, uh, if you ever get the opportunity, go meet the young man and, and have a discussion with him. You'll see remorse. You'll see a, a humble guy that, you know, wishes he hadn't have done it and would take it back for anything, but he's not going to get that opportunity. And he's going to deal with the punishment as he should. Let me ask you this, Jed, because I've, I've heard and read some speculation on this. Do you think, let's say that Randy Folk comes down with a different decision and disqualifies Hunter from the event, sends him home. Do you think that that impacts NHRA's punishment at all? Do you think there's a part of this that is NHRA um, responding to that decision as much or, or at least partially in addition to responding to Hunter's action? Or do you think that this punishment would have been levied regardless of Randy's decision? Well, we started down this uh, down this trail a little bit ago, Luke. Um, had this been many other people than Hunter, uh, and and they told the truth when Randy come to him and said, "What the blank was that?" I think they would have been eliminated from the program, sent home at that moment, and all is well, and it's you know, water under the bridge. And, and at some point in the very near future, we get past it and move on. I think because of who Hunter is and the, the blazing success he's had on the NHRA side, just in a, a few short outings or, or, or a few recent outings, and the fact that he's tied to somebody so well-known within the NHRA family, I think all those things worked against him and he would have received this punishment. If Randy had told him, Hunter, go home, you're done. I think he still would have received this punishment, but I truly believe it is more a result of who he is as opposed to what he did. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that part of it. I, I do agree wholeheartedly. I don't think that, Randy and the folks decision at the race had any impact on the suspension. I think that's coming down regardless to your point. Like maybe there is some pressure on NHRA to not appear as though they're, they're coddling anyone, right. Regardless of their connections. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, but uh, I, I, I do believe that the action is far more, the penalty is far more rooted in the action than it is in any politics around it. Now, with that said, what does this mean 
for Hunter, right? Like I, I read the statement, right? Hunter's NHRA competition license is revoked pending appeal um, through January 1st, 2023. When you, a lot of people say, well, like Hunter's, yes, he's run super comp this season, but like at his heart, like he's not an NHRA racer. He could still go bracket race, right? Um, I'm not so sure about that. Like if this stands, if, if Hunter's appeal is unsuccessful, will Hunter race in 2022 anywhere, in your opinion? Luke, that's a, that is the unknown, and I don't really have an opinion on that. I, I'd be fearful that someone would say, if I said, I don't think he will, someone say, oh, you know, gee, I don't feel like he should get to. That's not really the case. I, I don't really have an opinion on whether he should get to race big money bracket races, but I'm not asking if he should be able to, I'm asking, right. will it even be an opportunity? Will he even have the opportunity? Right. Yeah. And I, again, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on that because it would get turned into whether I think he should or shouldn't, but nonetheless, uh, I, you think about facilities like Vegas where Jeff Foster runs a, a tight ship. Uh, Jeff Foster runs a, a tremendous program and he is very close to the NHRA. You would have to think, places like that, Luke, are going to uphold the NHRA's decision and not allow him to compete. So I would think it's in Hunter's best advice to call ahead. Uh, don't just make the trip anywhere you go when it's NHRA facility, especially, you know, at these big high profile events. I would argue that assuming this suspension stands, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Like I would go as far to say that assuming that his appeal is unsuccessful and the suspension stands, I don't think it's realistic for us to see Hunter Patton at a race that is relevant in 2022 of any kind. Obviously national events and division events are, are off the table, but I don't, I don't see a, an avenue for him to compete at any NHRA sanctioned facility. And here's why I say that. Number one, NHRA has too much power over those member tracks. And whether that is verbalized or insinuated, the threat of them penalizing a track, removing its sanction, what have you, for not upholding the suspension is real. And then when you compound that with the attention that Hunter generates, the attention that Hunter generated two weeks ago, much less the attention that Hunter generates now, I think it's going to be next to impossible for him to compete at an NHRA sanctioned facility without either A, the track operator knowing who he is, and or B, it getting back to the powers that be at NHRA and whatever NHRA's stance on that is like, if they want to uphold this, um, whether that is through enforcing penalties on racetracks or enforcing further penalty on Hunter, um, they can do that. Like they can make his world hell in terms from a racing standpoint. And in that way, um, yes, kind of to your earlier point, like I, I think, I don't want to victimize Hunter here at all. Like he, what he did was obviously wrong, right? 
But in that way, like he is a victim of his own success. Like this doesn't, this wouldn't impact other racers the way that it will impact Hunter, assuming that it all stands. Like I get that he is paying for a mistake, but when you add all that in, like in my opinion, this is overly harsh, right? Like, and, and this kind of gets back to your earlier point. Let's just take of the, the what, 450 plus racers entered at the OG Million. What would be your guess on the percentage of those competitors competing at that event with a current NHRA license? Oh, uh, out of 450, you said, Luke? Yeah. Um, I would say uh, 5% max. Oh, it's higher than that. No. It's over half. No, sir. Look through the look through the entry list and show me show me who all's competed at an event where they would need that license. Okay. Well let's let's meet a, a middle ground. I was gonna say sixty percent. So let's say thirty percent. Sixty with a license? Yes. Oh my goodness, Luke. No, no chance of that. Okay. Okay. maybe I'm high. I, I think you're low at five, but let's let's say it's a quarter of the field. Okay. Okay. If this act that, that Hunter obviously committed was committed by one of those, let's say, 75%. What could an HRA do? Like, how do you, how oh, do yeah. you take away somebody's license that doesn't have a license? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, again, so in, in that manner, like, again, like, I don't want to victimize Hunter, but he's punished for, to some extent, playing by the rules, right? Sure. Now, to, to that larger point, if as a bracket race promoter, you're going to say Hunter Patton is not allowed to compete at my event because it's at an NHRA facility and his NHRA license has been revoked, and yet you will allow, let's say 50 to 70 to 95% of the field to race despite not having an NHRA license. Uh, how is that fair? <laughs> but I think that's the way that it'll go. Like my question, I guess, broadly, does this change things for all of us, right? Like, is there going to be more emphasis on having the, the proper credentials and, and perhaps like the proper safety equipment to compete at these races? My take on that is no, not at all, no. unless you're Hunter Patton. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it'll get to that point. I, I think, I think the NHRA wants to remain hands off on that. Uh, they understand that they're they're impacting a lot of people's livelihood if they try to to make the rules tighter and follow the guidelines that you have to follow for an NHRA sanctioned race. So, I don't. I think they'll stay hands off on that. I, I think they. I think they've said their piece here and maybe Luke, when this happens, it's supposed to be understood that, that Hunter can't compete at one of their member facilities, but you would think that that would be in the statement of action if it were the case. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Let me throw this at you. It is my understanding 
that while not in that brief paragraph statement of action, that that is very clearly stated in the letter that hunters received from NHRA. Ah, okay. Um, and like I say, I, I think if that's the case and if that is upheld, I, I just don't see an avenue for him to compete. Like you could say, okay, well, he could go to, to, to IHRA tracks, like perhaps, but if history is any indicator, IHRA is generally followed NHRA's lead. Like, I just think, assuming that this all holds up, like he's going to be hard pressed to find a place to compete. And again, like you could argue that obviously he brought all of this on himself. Um, but it, and it's only a year in a young man's life. Like if that's the case, uh, it, it may be really good for him, right? Who knows? But it does seem like really harsh punishment, particularly for someone who is trying to make a living in this sport. Again, not defending Hunter at all, but um, this is rough. Like this is as um, as stringent uh, a punishment when you view it in that light as I've ever seen handed down. Well, Luke, uh, you know there there may be. There may be a lot of uh, events that he would like to go to that he's not going to be able to go to, but I still contend that he'll he'll get to do plenty of racing somewhere, somehow, maybe on the local level, outlaw tracks, what have you. But it's definitely going to impact him from a from a standpoint of not being able to go to NHRA events or most likely the premier big money events. So. Uh, he's going to get the punishment that he earned. And, you know, hopefully this will be a fast year for him and he can get it behind him and, and get moving back forward where he wants to be in racing in life. And, you know, again, as I stated today in a, a somewhat of a debate on dragracerezults.com, you know, maybe the public nature of this is exactly what he needed to, you know, receive this punishment and get control of himself and to a, to a level where he doesn't even think about doing things like this again. And not that this is a pattern for him or he's got some kind of mental issues where he explodes and goes crazy, not saying any of that, but this was a loss of control of his um, good sound decision-making and it was at a very high level and it has to have punishment and he's getting that. And hopefully all of these things will keep him from ever even having thoughts like this again. I will share one potential Avenue here for, for Hunter in, in 2022. And I don't know exactly how this works, but obviously NHRA does have an appeal process. I would assume Hunter is going to appeal. Uh, on what grounds? I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously, he's a, he's already admitted uh, intent, right? He's already admitted fault. Um, and if that's the sole basis for the suspension, perhaps there's no leniency there. I would argue this. What I've seen in the past is NHRA publishes these statements right here is our heavy-handed punishment this is our way of saying 
we can't stand for this, right? This cannot happen. And in the past, although we've never had a situation quite like this, by and large, these punishments are appealed and the sentence is reduced. And that reduced sentence is never publicized. So I do think it's possible, I, don't, I have no idea how likely, that Hunter appeals, NHRA can stand on the grounds of, hey, we made this heavy-handed decision that, you know, for the safety of our racers. And perhaps behind the scenes, that suspension is diminished to six months, three months, where Hunter gets the opportunity to race again. He shows contrition. He knows that he's done wrong. He's learned his lesson. And perhaps, you know, to some extent, like everyone's happy, everyone wins. I don't know Again, the, the thing working against that is Hunter's, for lack of a better word, fame, right? And the fact that if that happens, there's going to be some pushback just because everyone knows who Hunter is. But I, I think if, if I have a hope in this, it's that something like that happens to where, okay, NHRA has their win right now of saying like, hey, we're putting our foot down, this can't happen. And at the same time, Hunter, while punished, is able to resume his activities, you know, and I don't have a problem with completing, completing like the anger management courses, as silly as that sounds like watching this, that's probably not a bad idea. Right. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I think a full year completely removed from competition is a bit harsh, but again, reasonable minds can disagree. Big Jed. One quick thing. If, if Hunter could get the opportunity, maybe, Hunter could uh, spend a year as a race director for some big events and help him learn a new side of the business and, oh, and, and probably get him some, some PR points with the competitors and they would see a different side of him. He would see a different side of them and, and get him a little more well-rounded and, and somebody that really understands how events should be run. Uh, maybe he would be good for some teams there. So, I like the way you think, Big Jay. That is another potential win-win situation. Yep. I think um, stay in public and as much as you can and finding an avenue to, to communicate with the racers and be in front of them you know, would probably be a good thing for him. And that, that particular role would certainly help him a lot as he moves forward in racing. All right, so this segment of the show went a little bit further than I intended. Uh, we're burying the lead to some extent. We've got Troy Williams Jr. Wanted to come on the show, wanted to join us, wanted to talk million-dollar race, wanted to talk the drama, not just Hunter, the drama in general. Um, so uh, before we transition to that, Big Jed, uh, check this out. If you're looking for the top name brand performance parts and accessories at the lowest prices, come on over to Jags. Jags High Performance has what you want, when you want it, at a price you want to pay. Edelbrock, Holly, Moroso, Mr. Gasket, the list goes on and on. Order by 11 p.m. and it goes out the same day. And there's always free shipping and handling. Get it right the first time. Jags High Performance, ready for you 24-7 at Jags.com. So obviously the biggest stories from the week that was revolve around South Georgia Motorsports Park and the OG Million. Joining us, there, yeah, a few things might have happened there from, from okay. what I can gather. Cool. <laughs> to do so, we are joined by legendary big dollar bracket race 
bracket racer, um, former million dollar race winner, Troy Williams Jr. T-Dub, thank you for joining us. Uh, anytime, Luke. It's always a pleasure, man. All right. So obviously we've got a lot to unpack. We've got a lot to get to. I, I thought it pertinent to start with at, at the top, basically. I, uh, Adam Russell wins the main event at the OG Million, the 26th annual. Um, I'll be honest, guys, Jed, Troy, I am vaguely familiar with Adam Russell and his accomplishments. I know he's no stranger to the winner circle on the big dollar bracket scene, most notably uh, at Galen Rollison's King of the Coast series. Uh, obviously, he had a stellar day in winning the 26th annual million dollar race. Uh, take me through what you guys know of Adam and or his performance on the weekend. Well, I, I didn't know who was who was to start here, but I've known Adam for quite a long time, Luke. Um, raced with him a fair amount in the, the B&M days and um, raced with him on this in this part of the country at some big money races. I actually raced him in a final at Prescott, Arkansas a few years ago. Just a very genuine Not to be confused guy. with Prescott, Arkansas. Prescott. Yeah, no, it's not Prescott, it's Prescott. Uh, very genuine guy, very likable guy, just out here enjoying himself uh wasn't going 430s when i raced him so obviously he stepped his program up a little bit but um just uh definitely a guy that, that if you know him you'd be pulling for him to win he, he's that kind of individual you want to see him you want to see him win so it was it was really fun to to see adam get that last win like troy I'll, I'll turn it over to you and let you talk yeah i mean i exactly what jed said i mean i've i've known him a little while through uh mostly through uh slate and brett cummings and and race with him a little rarely but you know he's always always putting down solid runs he obviously put down a ton of solid runs throughout the weekend not only today at a million but the day at a million was was phenomenal and and i you know i think the having a little bit faster car probably benefited as as typically it does but um yeah man he did a great job super nice guy very likable hum humble really really good dude man this couldn't happen to a nicer person and and uh you know it was just absolute phenomenal performance really dialed 433 in the final i believe won a double breakout 432 to the best of my recollection that's the fastest competitor that we've seen win at this level at this stage and perhaps uh, i'm interested to hear each of your thoughts Perhaps this is becoming a trend, like the two millions this year, one now by Bo Butner and Adam Russell, both sub 450 cars. If we track it back to the last event of last season, Kevin Brandon, I think, dialed right around 450 as well. Do you think that this is going to be a trend? Is this the the way to go about big dollar bracket racing in 2021? Well, Troy would have a, a much clearer view of that than I will, but I, I would say it's definitely the way to go if you can go that way. I, I think whether it's the million dollar race or a, a 50 grander or 10 grander or 20 grander, those that can do that are doing it for obvious reasons. Um, I don't remember a car that fast uh, competing, you know, for the far running for the final at any point. But I know several years ago, Scotty was going four thirties in Montgomery at the million and went very deep in a diamond chassis. Um, so obviously talented racers doing it is even more of an advantage but uh but certainly luke i think that that it's trending that way i think 
430 is a little easier to do these days than it ever has been. Easy for me to say, but uh, yeah, I think it's definitely trending that way and, and people want to do that. It can. Yeah, I, I think the technology, obviously, especially people embracing the, the blowers and, and uh, pro chargers and whatnot, I think you're going to see a whole lot more of the real fast cars winning. Uh, there was a long time that, you know, to go 440s, 430s, you were just pretty much asking to break parts. But, you know, with the, the you know, the improvement in transmissions and torque converters and, and just engine parts and the fact that, you know, people are throwing these little blowers on and they take a 480 car and go 440s, 430s. And, you know, I, I think, and obviously in bracket racing, any going faster is always desirable you know the race happens in front of you instead of behind you so it always makes it easier um and to jed's point you know you start putting you know the the scotty richardson's of the world and and that type in you know the really good drivers and the 430 440 cars you're going to see them win a lot more for sure and i i think it's a, a bit of a case too and i know i've said this before but it feels like as 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 recently as 10 years ago that there was the common let's call it now misconception that the faster you go the harder it is to get down the racetrack and i think that year by year more racers are proving that wrong and, and like i mean i can attest to it not that i've gone as fast as as adam russell with any degree of regularity but in my experience like let's say the jump from a 480 dragster to a 450 dragster i would argue it's considerably easier to get the 450 dragster down the track particularly on a bad track like it actually drives the tire like i would have never and i don't think any of us would have agreed with that 20 years ago right but progressively it's it's definitely trending that direction yeah if you look at the cars especially in a cold environment or like you said just a bad track in general the guys that are having the traction problems blowing them off on the start line and stuff they're typically the 495 cars which 20 years ago that was that was the fast desirable car and if you showed up with a blower car everybody laughed at you because they didn't really you know what's this guy trying to do you know top dragster top fuel what's he think but you know as we found out it drives the tire better gets down the track better you guys both mentioned scotty richardson that was my next topic right I, I'm, my takeaway from the million scotty gonna scotty right like it just it seemingly never stops right I, I mean i know that he's had he'd had some time off there but he is still scotty richardson runner up to adam russell in the main event backs that up what um less than 24 hours later with a fifty thousand dollar victory a little bit of shades of steve cisco and what he accomplished last season at martin uh cisco obviously won both finals and just from a, a purely financial standpoint i think we can all agree that cisco's windfall was dramatically greater but scotty i would assume took six figures away from south georgia last week uh, just thoughts in general on the greatness of scotty richardson i mean Dude, I, to, you know my opinion of him. He's, I think he's the best driver ever set in a race car, period, and absolutely phenomenal. The things that, you know, he did in not only bracket racing, but NHRA and, and NHRA in a relatively short period of time, to be honest. I mean, all in all, his, his NHRA career was nowhere near as long as a lot of people would lead you to believe. Um, but, yeah, man, it, it, and I think that race brings Scotty out. There's a lot of times, and and I'm guilty of it. I'm sure you're guilty of it. That, you know, we've been at races, and and you know, I'm there from a business standpoint to to support FTI and, and represent FTI and FTI on site and and all my sponsors. You know, um, and it's you know you have to be there. It's not that uh, not per se that you want to be there. You're maybe not at your highest level of competition, 
but there's certain races like that. I know is Scotty's bucket list race. I mean, that's he quote, if he ever wins that race, he'll retire, which, you know, he won't, but that's what he says. And, uh, you know, that's the one, the one he really has always wanted and would hang his hat on for sure. I mean, winning the, the, you know, a brace that legitimately paid a million is crazy, but you know, um, I think, I think that's, the one that Scotty would just be like, okay, I, I really have done it all and quit or, or per se, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Scotty's obviously as good as anyone's ever been or, or wanted to be. Uh, I mean, he's, he's all that stuff you just mentioned, Luke, and a, a year removed from winning the, the spring fling million in Bristol. Uh, so, you know, from a 12 month standpoint, it's been pretty darn good to be Scotty. And what's most impressive to me is Scotty in his prime, I think, was a guy that made a lot of laps. I mean, he made a lot of laps. He doesn't make a lot of laps these days. He he runs a racetrack and puts on events, and he's got a lot of irons in the fire. So he, he gets to the track when he can and when it's special. And he performs like he did at South Georgia. Just makes it even more impressive. If if there's anything about Scotty that can be more impressive than what he's uh, done in the past, that's pretty darn impressive. The fact that he doesn't get much seat time anymore, but his talent just shines through when he does. This runner-up finish marks the fourth million-dollar race final across a couple of different ver- uh, iterations of the million for Scotty Richardson, which off the top of my head breaks a tie with Kenny Underwood, who's been in three. Um, and just to, just to, uh, to rehash, Scotty runnered up two millions in one year back in 2000. It was the Millennium Million at Rockingham, which I believe just had two iterations back in the day. Runnered up there, then came to Montgomery for the OG million that season. Runner up again, obviously won the Spring Fling million in Bristol in 2020, and now the runner up here at South Georgia. Trivia time, and Troy, I'll come back to you because I think you will know the answer to this, just knowing your uh, your uh, uh, affinity for big dollar bracket racing history. So I'm gonna throw it to Jed first. Jed, you may get this as well. Nah, not likely. Can you name? Scotty's four opponents in those final rounds. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, um, uh, Folt last year. Um, yep. He yep. obviously had Adam Russell. Um, I think one was Ricky Jones. Close. Ricky Jones did win the Millennium Million, but it was not the year that Scotty was. In ah, final. yeah. Was it? Uh, it was uh, Clay. Uh, Clay. That's just very Clay. good. Very good, Jonathan Clay. <laughs> Jonathan right, Clay. Impressed, impressed. That was the toughest one. You got three of the four. Yeah. And uh, the other one would have been, um, boy, shoot, I should know that, but I don't I don't have an idea of which, who that was. Well, the driver's real name is Stephen Hughes, I believe, but the car was something, like, something like Haywood, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did remember when Haywood won it. Yes. <laughs> nice work, fellas. Tito, would you, would you have gotten the other three? No problem. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought so. All right. Uh, <laughs> good, stuff, good stuff. So uh, the other point, a couple other points I wanted to touch on just, just as far as um, marquee performances at uh, one of the biggest and, and arguably the most prestigious event of the season. No one's ever gone back to back at the OG million. Jeff Rooks has come the closest with a, a win followed by a runner up. KB made a run at it. 
after last year's victory, KB down to seven cars in the in the million. KB is super impressive, man, and he, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go back to back at anything. And uh, he was driving, uh, you know, I really, I think uh, Stephen McCrory was driving. Well, all those guys were driving greater; they wouldn't have been in. But you know, obviously, I was seeing all Stephen's tickets, and they were all really impressive. And I every run I heard KB was pretty decent as well, you know, and. Hey, you know how racing is. It could have all could have went anyway, but you know it was Adam's day, and and he pulled it out, and deserved it. You know, yeah, Troy. The the racing for whatever reason looked a little sloppy at times, and and I don't mean to criticize anyone because I get it. I'm I'm sloppy way too much, but it looked a little sloppy at times, like maybe it was a, a little longer tree or a little shorter tree than people were accustomed to or whatever, you know, there's a lot of factors that cause that maybe trees in a different position, but what do you think was causing that? Typically, you know, the, the counts are, are very consistent to be honest. I mean, there's, you may go and it's a little fast or a little slow, but this tree had uh, two speeds. It was slow and slower. And I, and I think that <laughs> people had a, had a pretty hard time adjusting to it. You know, um, as evident, if you listen to the runs, like you were saying, Jed, there was more, you heard more 30, 40s and, and goofed up trees. And you get, you go to a track where the tree is fairly quick and it's just a bloodbath, you know, like Darlington, the trees, you know, a really good count and Huntsville, you know, you go to either one of those two tracks and you just double load that on all day. But um, yeah, I think the count on the tree was the, the biggest factor. Which I was a fan of, uh, for, for, you know, just from a spectator standpoint, watching, I was a fan of it not being just double O and dead on every single pass. I, I like the fact that guys were getting by with a, a 25 or a 30 at times. They just feel like there's hope. <laughs> yeah, man, look like my kind of race, man. I mean, don't, I don't tell Jeremy Hancock, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't tell Jeremy that. Uh, the other performance that really caught my eye from the weekend is not necessarily from an individual as much as it was a trio of brothers, uh, the Penningtons, the Skinningtons, Big Jed, put on a show. Uh, Peeps runner-up in the opening 20 grander to the aforementioned uh, Jeremy Hancock. Uh, his brother Michael follows that up a day later, or at least starts it a day later. I believe he semied the first 50 grander and then advanced to the final seven cars in the million, not to be outdone. Philip comes back in the last race of the weekend, wins that 50 grander, and by the way, defeated Brother Peeps in the quarters. Uh, these guys are, are no stranger to success at that level, but for all of them to score on that stage seems unique and obviously impressive. Very impressive. Um, you know, those guys are are making the Pennington name, um, you know, famous, synonymous with, with winning. And I appreciate that, uh, because I definitely, those days are way behind me, but it, Luke, I talked about Scotty and how he doesn't get much seat time anymore. Well, those guys are running a car lot and they're very busy out in Texas and they don't get a lot of seat time anymore either. They, they typically only show up uh, get to go race at special stuff. So their seat time's limited. Um, probably Scotty's definitely a lot less than the Pennington boys, but uh, very impressive what they're able to accomplish um, with, with not a whole lot of laps under their belt each year lately in the last few years. So uh, another strong performance from them. Super proud of them. A good family and they work hard at their craft. 
Yeah, that that whole family has always been really, really tough and super competitive. It's not surprising to see any of them, any of them do well at any given time. But, you know, I, I always run with a group, whether it be my brother or Steven or, you know, whoever's parked around you. I mean, it is it is odd or, or unique or whatever you want to say about it for everyone in, in the pit area to do well at the same time. But it, I mean, it was a like you said, Luke, it was awesome, awesome display. Yeah, to your point um, of not getting a ton of seat time, like I think to some extent, Kevin Brandon falls into that crowd too. I know Kevin's racing a lot. Like it seems like he's at the track almost every weekend, but you know, I mean, he's, he's also the, one of the chief engine builders of car. Like I know at most of the millions, he shows up like for the main event, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's not, it's not racing full time. Like he used to be. So it's interesting that we have so many racers have success, uh, particularly in this weekend that aren't necessarily out there beating up the pavement week in and week out, because I think we've always tended to believe and, and, and agree basically that that's a significant advantage, you know I mean? Just making more runs, but I don't know, at some point you can weigh in on this, Troy, like, I guess you get enough experience under your belt and perhaps you just get accustomed to winning enough that it's sort of like riding the bike you know you can jump back in almost at any time and, and reach close to that same level all of those guys doing well show you that that's you know that's the case it is a lot like riding a bike and i think there's a point that uh you can stay away from it maybe too far you know too too much and you know it hurts your performance but there's also a point that having a break's good you know i, I mean i really feel like if there's a lot of times maybe if i didn't race as much or or, you know, I, I'll just single in or instead of double a lot. And it's because, you know, it's so repetitious that the, the I don't know, the, the cutting edge, you know, you're just not, you're not at your best every single time. And I think that those guys, especially being the million and they're all pumped up to do it, you know, like you said, they have the skills, they have the equipment and, you know, it's the, almost not the novelty, but, you know, just the, the opportunity to get out there and do it at that level on, on that stage, I think, I think drives them. Yeah, I think the, the juxtaposition of that seat time is the, the argument for kind of coming in fresh, you know, and everything being kind of new. What were you going to say, Jed? I was going to say, Troy, for 25 years, you've been top five in everybody's list at, at big money bracket racing. What's the longest you can remember taking off? What's the longest stretch you remember not racing? <laughs> uh, not at all. Two weeks. <laughs> There's never been a period of time in my life that I didn't race. Um, not since I was, you know, 15 years old. I I couldn't tell you, especially living in Florida where you don't have to take any time off. I mean, when I first started at FTI, I think uh, – the first few years, I didn't race much in December or January, so so maybe maybe six or eight weeks. And those six and those times, I came out early in the year, really, really, really strong too. So maybe I ought to do that more often. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Troy. So the the catalyst, as I mentioned in the open, for you joining us today was a text message. You said you texted me and said, "quote I want to come on the podcast. I want to talk about the drama at the million." And I responded saying. The floor is yours. Are we talking about Hunter exclusively or is there more? And you said, I want to talk about all of it. So here we go. Like, is Hunter a jumping off point? Do you want to start there? Yeah, I mean, we'll start with Hunter because it's the it's the biggest topic right now going around the Internet. And, and uh, 
my opinion probably will not be the most popular. Um, let me start out by saying I don't agree with anyone running into anybody's car or anything of that nature. Right? And I'm not saying what Hunter did was at all right. And I want to emphasize that for the people that are going to say, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're advocating something of that nature. I'm not. Um, what I am here to talk about is what provoked it. And it's, and it's not exclusively the younger generation, although I feel like they are much more rampant with it, but it's all the, 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 the blatant disrespect that these, these guys are doing and they're acting like it's okay. You know, like ripping the gas is fine. Playing these staging games is fine. Taking, taking two, three minutes to pre-stage or having a pre-stage burn down uh, is fine. You know, it's not, man. It really isn't. You know, we're all out there to race. We all have a big investment. You know, a lot of times it's a financial burden on an entire family to be at the races. And, you know, the several instances, you got a guy that's maybe shouldn't even be entered in the race. It, it's that much of a financial burden on him. He goes down there, loses to run, and you got a guy in another lane kicking the gas, you know, um, pulling up beside him, making eye contact, ripping the gas, just rubbing it in your face. I mean, it's hard for me to think of another form of motorsport or any sport for that matter that that kind of disrespect goes without some kind of consequence. You know, I, I don't think you could ride around town flipping off a hundred people and not get some sort of violent reaction out of at least one. You know, I, I would have much more expected some sort of fight or argument in the pit area, but the fact that everybody acts like what Hunter did was completely unprovoked is asinine to me, you know, like, Oh, this, he didn't just swerve over on Trey to do it, you know, and it's not like Trey ripped the gas on him because of the staging deal. Cause Trey does it all the time. I, I grew Trey grew up around me and I've, I've had numerous discussions with him. Like, Hey man, let's not do that. You know, it's not cool, but <laughs> there are certain, you know, several racers, not just, I'm not picking on Trey. I'm just, there's a lot of the younger guys that they just do that kind of stuff. And I don't, I don't know if they don't realize or they don't care how disrespectful it is. But the fact of the matter is people deal with disrespect in different ways. And, you know, you don't know what was going on in Hunter's head or you don't know what's going on in anyone's head. And obviously it hit a nerve, you know, clearly, whether it be that, you know, he hasn't been on fire like he was the previous years or, you know, there was obviously something going on and, and the disrespect triggered him. I personally don't believe he meant to hit him. I, I don't think he meant to rub tires or whatever happened. I think he meant to swerve over there and, you know, ex, uh, express his uh, dislike. <laughs> but, you know, it, it went a little further than that. And I, I more than anything, I just want to bring the light that that all the stuff that they're doing, these games they're playing, are exactly that. They're unsportsmanlike, they're disrespectful, and they're games. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's to some extent, some of the things that I said on last week's show, T-Dub, like I, I know that I come from an era, as do you, where like ripping the gas past the finish line is one of the, I can't think of anything more disrespectful or I consider it extremely unsportsmanlike. Now, that's not to say that that justifies Hunter's reaction by any stretch, but to your point, like there's, there's more to the story. Like there is something that provoked it, right? It's like I said, man, the, the, the road rage deal, you can't ride around disrespecting people all day or all week or all month or all year and not expect to get some sort of reaction. 
I mean, did I think it would be Hunter? No, because he's a real laid back, typically really cool kid, you know, and cool mannered, cool tempered, you know, uh, there's several racers I could probably point out and say, yeah, and, you know, I, that would not surprise me at all if you rip it on that guy that you're going to get, you know, some sort of some sort of undesirable reaction out of. But, hey, man, I, I just I, I just wish the sportsmanship would return and people people would hold other people accountable whenever they do that kind of stuff, not act like it's cool or funny. Because, I mean, if if you truly dislike the guy and you want to disrespect him, go ahead. But to do it run after run after run, it's just, it, I don't know. It's it just, uh, it actually, to me, it truthfully degrades the racer. Like I think uh, Trey's a great racer. I mean, he does very well. And it, it makes you think a little less of the guys that go out there and do that because I, I don't know where they're, so they're either surprised they won. They're not used to their wind light coming on or they're trying to disrespect the person. It, it has to be one of them. Why else would you do it? <laughs> Any thoughts on the uh, punishment or lack thereof from folk family? I can tell you, knowing uh, Randall's past, as I'm sure you're you're aware of, um, he dislikes that sort of activity probably more so than most anyone. But I think that speaks to his generation and the fact that you know um, most older men really don't deal with disrespect very well. And it's a flagrant, blatant, disrespectful act. And I think given some of the things that he has done in the past on the same situation, I think played into um, his lack of action because, you know, in some degree he felt like it was provoked. And at the time you got Hunter over there saying the wheel came off. And then what are you going to do about it? You're going to go the next day whenever he actually posts an apology and kind of fessed up. And then take action after you allowed him to race the next night. I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a it's a really sketchy area to me as far as he, should something have been done, probably. But I mean, the, there's so many situations that if you it's just like NHRA getting involved. What the hell are they doing? I mean, why? You know, that was actually my next question. What are your thoughts on the on the uh, on the NHRA uh, suspension? Yeah. Um, so they, they're going to suspend Hunter for a dangerous, disrespectful, whatever, violent act and, and, and make him go to anger management and all this. Well, what if the guy didn't have an NHRA license? Which I want to say a good percentage of racers out there probably don't. So if it was a if it was a non NHRA licensed driver, what do they do to him? Do they get involved? Do they say anything? Can they? <laughs> Yeah, true. I'm not sure it gets that much attention if it's not a Hunter Patton or or somebody that has reached that status in our sport. So, you know, the question has been on social media over and over since that incident. You know, what if it's a quote unquote no name racer? And quite honestly, I feel like the, the situation would have been handled a lot differently if it was the guy that's not as well known. He probably would have been exiting the the property and sent home but i do believe that we all feel like we know hunter i know hunter you know him better than i and i feel like when we know a guy and he's been shoulder to shoulder with us in the pits for years i think they probably get somewhat of a pass 
because we know them and we know Hunter's a good person. And that was debated with me on dragraceresults.com today that, that maybe he's not a good person, but he is a good person. We never know what somebody's going through. We don't really know what all provokes these type of actions. So I, I lean on the hunter that I know, and I know he's a good person. And as much as I agree wholeheartedly that he has earned whatever punishment is coming his way, I'm sad for him because I hate to see him go through this because I know he's a good person. I feel like, I feel like he definitely overreacted and, and clearly he knows made a bad decision and, and I, he hasn't defended it at all one time. Um, to your point about if it was someone else, I still don't think the exact same situation, someone you've never heard of. I don't think Randy throws them out. Um, just like I said, just because of his feelings on the topic, you know, I mean, he, he would have felt that, you know, he would, Randy would handle it differently. He, you know, back in the, back in the heyday, he'd have, he'd have probably, you know, went to the guy's pit area and had um, some strong words for him and, you know, maybe a punch in the nose or something of this nature, but uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't think that he would have handled it a bit differently had it been, uh, you know, per se a no name, whatever an unknown racer i do think nhra would have gotten involved even if it was an nhra licensed driver and he wasn't i think they're making an example of hunter i think they they're overstepping their boundaries to to try to just say hey you know look we're nhra and bow up and do this where the fact of the matter is if nhra got involved in these bracket races it would look like an nhra divisional hardly have anybody there it's all opinion at this point, but Troy, do you think it would have been handled any differently had Randy gone to Hunter immediately and Hunter said, yeah, I did it. That, that SOB did this or did that. And yeah, I went over there and scrubbed tires with him and I'll, you know, I'll do it again. Oh, I firmly believe if he'd had, if he'd had a negative attitude about it or, you know, yeah, I, yes, it would have been handled differently. And Hunter bought the, Hunter bought the guy wheels and, and apologized and you know that he did some stuff that probably isn't you know been put out there that much but yeah and i you know i don't even i think i think they for the most part you know made up over it themselves and good and it's uh you know obviously i don't think anybody's happy about <laughs> either end of it but um I, I i really think social media has made something out of it that it really shouldn't have been made out of i mean it it, yes, it should have been. There should have been some sort of punishment. It should have been dealt with. You got to know that you can't do that type of thing. Um, but once again, I mean, you you also got to know that you can't keep provoking people and expect nothing to ever happen. You know, I mean, you can't yeah. run around and and do this over and over and over again and then be like, oh my god, somebody's mad. You know. Yeah. Bro, I wanna I wanna circle back to your uh, your description of the uh, the conversation between. Randy and Hunter, just from a, a look, I'm picturing this and I'm kind of laughing to myself. So I, 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 I said last week that I didn't necessarily have an issue with Randy's decision, although I wouldn't have taken exception if he'd kicked him out for the weekend. Right. Like, uh, and, and I don't know that I would have done anything differently in his shoes. To me, it would have depended a lot upon Hunter's attitude and his, contrition so to speak when you went to him like and it's apparent to me after the fact that like hunter kind of knew he screwed up but maybe that wasn't the point in the moment 
I don't, to your point, I don't see Randy throwing him out. But when Hunter comes up with the story about the steering wheel, like if you watch that happen at that point, I'm surprised Randy didn't throw him out for lying to his face. You're like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, I can I see that too, Luke. And I, and I even told Hunter, I said, man, at this point, you just ought to own it. And I mean, ultimately, NHRA getting involved, it was probably a bad bit of advice. He probably, if he stuck with it, what does NHRA say? The guy's steering will come off, you know, allegedly. Um, they probably don't get involved. But then again, if Randy kicked him out for the weekend, does NHRA take further action? I don't know. I, I mean, I know, I know it really bothers Hunter because he was running, the, he was running super comp and enjoyed it. And, you know, and the, the, the family he's running around with are big in NHRA. And I, and I know that that's people, it's like, oh, it's a slap on the hand. Well, it's a little bit more than a slap on the hand for him. I mean, you're, you're more that you're going to be more than a year removed from being able to race NHRA. And they're mandating that you go take time consuming, aggravating expensive classes before you can participate with them again whenever you weren't particip participating with them to start with i mean at that event you weren't so i i don't know i have a i have a real <laughs> a real dislike for them getting involved with it period but i guess you know most people's opinion is something need to needed to happen punishment wise troy the way it's written it it, it says his license has been um, pulled for uh, until January 1st, 2023. Does that allow him to run another category that doesn't require a license? That's a good question. I hadn't thought about it from that light. I would doubt that it does. I would think that just not be allowed to race an HRA. And, you know, I had somebody bring up, well, he can go bracket race anyway, anywhere. Well, here's the bad part. If it's a NHRA sanctioned track and they do want to apply pressure, on the track and threaten to pull their sanctioning and which I, I have no idea why I have no idea why they're involved, but I have no idea why they would take it to the next level. But then it, then it becomes a burden on the track to allow him to race, even though like we had discussed at, at the races that we typically run, there's a, there's a, a the vast majority given the NHRA rule book couldn't, couldn't pass it start to finish, you know? And um, so I, 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 it's going to be interesting to me to see what action some of these tracks, you know, some of these sanctioned tracks take, given the fact they know that his, he's basically suspended, you know. Right, so you're, you're transitioning into another point that I want to get to, like the, the cosm, so to speak, between the NHRA world and the big dollar bracket world, even though there is NHRA sanction, like there's overlap, but it, I think you would agree it's it's two different worlds, right? It, it, it's So I want to talk a little bit about that because I don't think anybody could speak to it better than you, but let's go back to like, there was, Hunter's drama wasn't the only drama at the million, right? So so give me kind of the, the helicopter view. What else did you want to touch on? Where do you want to go with it? Sorry, I keep beating Troy. That's the reason for these uh, pauses in between. Go ahead, Tito. Nothing really cared. Nothing really compared to what went on with Hunter. Um, so my nephew was laid on the tree and sprayed and dropped somebody real hard, and that's been all over the internet. And there's been a lot of derogatory comments about, you know, how hard he hit the brakes and, and you know being a dumbass to hit the brakes that hard and blah blah blah. Well, and oh, it's dangerous and blah, this and that. Well, my opinion of that point, um, racing is dangerous. If you don't know that you can get hurt every time you strap in, don't do it. He stayed in his lane. He didn't hit nothing or anyone else. 
Um, fact of the matter is, my brother ran into him with a forklift the other day, and he's wearing a freaking cast boot on his left foot, and he had no feel for the brake pedal, and he knew he was late and sprayed most of the track and then dropped. And you know, it was able to. He was able to turn on the wind light, fortunately. But I mean, I sprayed the track. I sprayed most of the track and dropped with the wind light not on before it slid around a little bit. But I mean, it, it's part of the game. I don't. I don't agree with excessive braking to the point you're out of control. But you know. It, it happens and the people that want to want to sit there and call you call your names or or threaten what would happen if you did this or that you know hey man it, it go take up a different sport you, the people saying that are most of the reason we can't run quarter mile because the cars are too fast for them to want <clears throat> to want to go quarter mile they can say it's because of wear and tear on equipment the fact of the matter is these guys that with the 440 and 430 cars you're talking about they don't want to go 210 mile an hour you know, they don't feel comfortable racing the finish line going 210 mile an hour. And those are a lot of the similar people that they get on there and criticize the guys that drive aggressively. But um, once again, not condoning sliding the brakes or crashing, but, you know, um, aggressive driving is part of racing, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, Troy. And, and I know that Donovan has uh, gotten beat up about that move. But if you've watched him race, that's not who he is. That's not what he does on a regular basis. Um, it was obviously an aggressive move. And, and I think he would be the first to tell you <laughs> that one was uh, that one was a little harder than it needed to be. And live and learn and move on. And we're fortunate there was no damaged uh, body parts or equipment. But uh, that's not what he does on a on a pass by pass basis. So I, I think if you look at look at his uh, driving style in totality, it's you know it, it's what winners do. And I don't think anyone should judge anyone uh, overall based on one run. Much like Hunter's getting right now, he's a good person and he did a very bad thing. Um, you know, Donovan shouldn't be judged on one aggressive drop. Uh, and you just enlightened us on some information that we didn't know. So that even makes it more understandable, if you will. Yeah. I mean, when he first came back, he, he got out and like rubbed the hood of the car, said, sorry, girl to the car. You know I mean? He, he wasn't happy about anything, anything during the run other than the wind light. Wasn't happy with his tree. Wasn't happy with the drop, but pretty happy to wind light come on. <laughs> that always helps. So my, my feeling just looking at this as a whole is whether it was big things like Hunter's ordeal, whether it was relatively small things like what you had just talked about with Donovan. And there was other instances throughout the weekend that just created really strong emotions on the part of, I don't even know if it was necessarily the competitors as much as the people watching, like, outrage, if you will, right? And maybe that speaks to people's passion. And I'm here to completely, um, I I'm all here for the idea that reasonable minds can disagree. Like, I know that there are people listening to this right now that are saying, I don't agree with this at all. Like what Hunter did is completely wrong. He's, he's due his punishment. And I'm not here for excessive breaking. And like, uh, like I said, everybody's entitled to their opinion and it doesn't necessarily make you wrong. What stands out to me was like just how adamant, vocal, I guess, like you say, passionate, but just how easy it is to flip the outrage switch. Is that what you're feeling too, Troy? 
it was mostly on the tree had a glitch in it, mostly on the back side of the tree, the red light and the right lane would sometimes flash about the same time the green light come on. Right. Um, not saying anything bad about, you know, Ozzy or South Georgia or any of that, but the fact of the matter is they didn't have a lot of spare per se equipment and man, <laughs> this all falls back to, they want to fault like just same thing that happened to Montgomery. They want to fault the folks, you know, they want to, they or any promoter, not just them. You know, you come in there and the going, the going rate to rent any racetrack is between eight and $12,000 a day, depending on which track you're going to. Right. So you go in there and you pay what they ask for to rent their facility and the facility has problems. I mean, you as a promoter ultimately are responsible for your race. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, if you went and got a rent a car and the thing was, you know, running on that down a cylinder or had a flat tire, you're going to be mad at a rent a car company. You know, um, I, I think in a lot of situations, we're and we're a product. We're a product of our our, our own making. Um, you know, the fact that everyone doesn't has chassis certifications or SFI tags or or the correct licenses and stuff that that forces promoters to go to let's call it next tier facilities you know they're most most promoters aren't or they're not you know they're not the same you know if you want to say peter you know whatever because of his pull or the fact that has a maybe a little different following than than most of the other promoters um it doesn't allow them. I mean, hell, we tried to, you know, the folks tried to go to Indy one time and we had to, had to end up going to Muncie over the deal because they were going to enforce everything. And if you, they enforce everything in the rule book, you're not going to have very many racers. So it kind of eliminates the, the upper echelon facility for, for these promoters. And then you get out there and you go to a facility that, you know, maybe they don't have an extra timing system or they don't have a, another tree, you know, um, so you end up with these little glitches and the first thing people want to do is throw stones and, and get irate whenever that red light flash and truthfully had no bearing on the run at all. Um, there was some people that, you know, maybe thought they had a, had a bogus react and a fast 60 foot. But when you go back and look at all their run sheets, it's, you know, it wasn't, wasn't per se the case, you know, I'm not saying that there wasn't at any race, any time there's, probably going to be you know something odd here and there but you know as a whole it was a very well ran race it was a, you know very fair race it was it was just a you know fun awesome race but like you said for whatever reason people want they, they seem to want to get in an uproar and i don't know why maybe it's just the way society is right now specific to your point and i i'm going to go up a, a number of, of different directions here to to get your opinion troy and and feel free Jed to chime in at any point, like specifically given the history of last year's event and the, the mess that, that your brother and KB went through, right? If you are the folks, the event promoter, like is the first thing that the first box to check, like, Hey, let's make sure that we got extra timing system stuff. Like we don't want to go through that again. Right. That would be a, that would be a high on my list. And Jenny specifically called me, and wanted to know if I had any line to get a hold of Brockmire to have him come in and do a tune-up. It wouldn't do it. Period. Um, they did the same thing, you know, at Montgomery. They reached out to him the year before and and couldn't get someone to come do it. Um, but yes, I mean, to your point, absolutely. But 
So whenever you whenever you go to rent the track at Montgomery or or South Georgia or whatever, and you say, hey, do you have extra timing stuff? And they say no. What do you do? You just pull route, you know, pull up and go somewhere else because. I mean, there's only so many places you can move in a bit of that magnitude. I mean, there's so many 500 cars. You got a lot of parking. You got to have a, a nice track facility. Um, it's, you know, it's, you just can't go to any run of the middle eighth mile facility and run that race. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a there might be might be a dozen facilities nationwide that would actually accommodate just simply the car count and the the level of facility that you expect for that that type of event no 100 percent. what about like jed and i had a little bit of this discussion last week and i kind of bridged into it in terms of, of preparation like there is particularly for the last few years there has been some bizarre story to come out of this event right so in your opinion like is that just completely random in that like you could never predict Corey Galetti's wreck and go like and and the aftermath of that like if you're if you're Andy Folk there's no way you could possibly be prepared for that right and even you know to some extent like the the Montgomery issue last year like there are timing system problems at every track in the country like what are the odds that it rears its head in the quarterfinal round of the million right and then this deal with Hunter like I've been racing for 30 years and never seen anything like it. You know what I mean? Like you could not possibly predict or prepare yourself for that. Is it just happenstance that it seems to, to happen to this race every year? Or I've argued in the past that like, and I don't mean to be critical necessarily of Randy and the folks in this regard, but you know, the way that, that he just kind of goes about life. Like it is very seat of the pants and he very much just trusts himself to make the right decision in the moment. Like at least from the outside, there's not always a ton of preparation, right? Does that play into this or do you think it's just completely random? I do think that, uh, I, I think emotions are pretty high at that race because it is probably the most prestigious race I feel in the country. Um, yeah, I think people, to what you were saying, maybe feel like they can get away with more because the way it's ran. Um, yeah. I mean, other like, yeah. How could you prepare yourself for, for the Corey's deal, you know, and you have a break rule, which I mean, he was one of the first people I've ever raced with that implemented that rule. And I, and I do like that rule. I think it's a great rule. Um, so you're, Crashing after crossing the center line after the finish line isn't a disqualification. You've got a break rule. All you have to ask yourself is, is the guy in or out? I mean, are you disqualifying him? Because if you're not disqualifying him, his car's broke. <laughs> Other than that, he's disqualified and slates back in, right? Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's been some, like, I agree. It's been some bizarre situations, you know, and, and – I, I don't have an answer for it really other than other than emotions are running high and it's a, uh, it, it probably isn't the most um, by the, let's say by the book race, you know? Sure. The, um, the other point that I wanted to, to kind of circle back to that you had, you had brought up is the history of the million, right? Like to your point, it did try to go to a, a world-class facility at, at Lucas Oil Raceway Park in, in Indianapolis. And um, 
when the, the racetrack and NHRA enforced a, a strict version of NHRA tech, the, the market, right, the, the, the racers that are supporting that race, I don't know what the percentage was, but it was high that simply were not going to be allowed to race that weekend to the point that Randy was essentially forced to move to race to a track that could accommodate that. So what, what, what you're saying is like, look, he tried to move it to the, the greatest facility, right? That, where you're not going to, or you're going to have a lesser likelihood of having these types of issues. Right. And our market didn't really facilitate that. And ultimately that's the same market now that's complaining about it, not being at the, you know, ultimate premier facility. I'm curious, like, just to, to dive a little bit deeper into this, because I think it's easy for us to look at even not necessarily the winners, but like the, the, what do you say? A hundred plus racers that are going to be at every race or damn near every race that pays 50 grand to win and be like, Oh, it's all the same people. Like, I think to your point, what you're saying is like the crowd at the OG million, you, you tell me, is it significantly different from the crowd at say, a fling event. I believe it's extremely different. Um, you get a ton of Northeast guys, a ton of just, let's call it the NHRA following that, that followed Peter and Kyle for so long. Um, I think there's a vast majority of the cars that really could pass a strict tech at this, the fling events. And I mean, you know, you know how racing where we come from is it's the, the majority is not, I mean, that's just the way it is. There's guys that, you know, they they have a two thousand car and it has a seatbelt that came in it. You know, which whatever. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but um, and no matter how big a how big a hissy fit NHRA pitches, they're still going to be allowed to race at their local tracks and run around to some big bracket races. You know, um, yeah, I, I absolutely. I think there's a, a different following for the fling event specifically, and that's why they go to Bristol and Vegas and and Jed can attest to this as well. Like. I do think that the roots of that are that a significant percentage of the patrons of the OG million are longtime patrons of the OG million. Like it's the George Howard crowd and, and we've all laughed about it in the past, but I don't know that George is necessarily the origins of this, but George would, would blatantly say like, we got two rules, big tires in the back, pay at the gate. And we can work with you on the big tires in the back thing, as long as you pay at the gate, right? Like it's, <laughs> That type of culture has been around for a long, long time in that area. Yeah, oh, that's that's been the way it's been around here forever, Luke. And, and wherever George went, he took that mentality with him that, that you can come in and race if you can afford the entries and the buyback. So um, definitely, definitely a different culture. And I couldn't agree more with, with Troy. And uh, the, the crowd looks a lot different at a fling event than it does at the OG. But quite frankly, if you brought a fling event to one of the facilities that the OG goes to, it might look a little more similar in crowd there. Uh, just you're talking about world-class facilities. You're talking about guys that are going to drive from uh, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania to come to Tennessee, but they know there's not a bad parking spot in the house. They know they're not going to, no matter when they get there, they're not going to get hung in the mud or the, the tall grass or behind a dumpster or, you know, so I think the facility lends itself to a lot of that difference in crowd 
but it's certainly a different atmosphere as well. Both equally impressive and, and strong in their own right, but it, there's a lot of differences as well. That's kind of where I ultimately want to steer this conversation because, again, I, I think Troy's got incredible insight on it, is I'm not here, like I, I do both and I enjoy both, right? Like the, the NHRA style of competition and the laid back nature of a big dollar of big dollar bracket racing, I guess, maybe specific to the Southeast, although I know there are pockets of the country that operate the same way. So I, I'm not here to advocate necessarily for one or the other. I'm more so just, I want to lay out the cosm between those for those that may not be completely aware, right? In that, whether you're a, a big dollar bracket racer that is like scared to death to go to an NHRA event because like, I think I even got everything right, but like I've never been through tech before or you're an NHRA racer that goes, I'm not going to those races because it's freaking wild, wild west. Right? Like the cosm between the big dollar bracket culture specifically in the Southeast, but to some extent everywhere and the forget like NHRA national events, like in some areas, the local racing culture, right. Dependent on geography, it's a cosm that has existed for as long as I can remember in that the, the racers that run NHRA events or have a, a track that enforces, you know, your typical NHRA rules, I feel like there's an emphasis on safety, yes, but also on procedure, um, on like organization. Like, and, it's, and it's very black and white in that you might not always like the rules, but like, you know the rules, right? And, and those racers would argue that, yeah, some of the rules in the rule books like seem asinine, seem over the top, but those racers would always say they're there for a reason. Like every rule in the rule book's there because somebody got hurt at some point. Whereas the big dollar bracket racers would say like, we don't want NHRA to, to meddle in our thing here, right? Like we're fine with less safety requirements. We're fine with a looser interpretation or, or um, more gray area on race procedures, like we trust the race promoter, for better or worse. And the, that crowd, and Troy, I think you'll attest to this, will say like, listen, this is the way we've been doing this for years. And by and large, like, we're all right. Nobody's getting hurt, right? It's under the same umbrella, but the atmosphere could not be more different. I say it's under the same umbrella because the majority of races are technically sanctioned by the NHRA, but it could not possibly be a more different atmosphere. So my question to both of you, where in your minds do the roots of that generate from, that, that difference? Because at some point, like we all operated under the same rules that were enforced the same way, right? So somewhere it, it went sideways. And then do you think that there's any chance that it changes in either direction in the future, or will we continue to have these two separate worlds of competition, in your opinion? Uh, Luke? I would say that's going to continue forever, that you'll definitely have those two, uh, at least two different styles. If, you know, I think there's, there's extreme and there's somewhere in the middle. And then there's like the, the bottom rung where none of that's, they don't check anything. I don't care if you got a neutral safety switch or, uh, you know, a drive shaft loop or any of that stuff. So sure, there's think, nuance to all of it, right? Yeah. I think that's going to remain forever uh, in an ever, changing world that we race in and the challenge of getting people to spend their their hard-earned dollar to come race is 
becoming more and more challenging on the local level, um, right or wrong, I'm not condoning it or not saying it's right, uh, but you're going to have people look the other way, certainly on the local level until they're until they decide to close the gates forever um and as far as nhra goes uh, you know I, I think that's only going to become more strict as the years go by so you've got those two extreme ends and then you know example troy talked about how they left indy and went to muncie to run the million because indy was so strict well, I went to Muncie one time and raced the no box nationals. When I ran my car through tech, I thought I was going to just hand him my tech card and get a run sticker. And he said, son, you, your belts are out of date. And I said, they are. He said, yeah. I said, well, I didn't even know there was a date on them. I've never had that looked at. And he said, yeah, yeah, your belts are out of date. He said that that's a, that's a violation. We don't let people race without a date belts. He said, if you wasn't from Alabama, I'd put you back in the box and turn you around, send you home. I said, well, then uh, there's another reason I'm glad I'm from Alabama because I, I hope you're not about to do that over some seat belts. So, you know, that's kind of in that middle area. So I think you're going to have that, those different variations of it. You're going to have the extreme ends forever. And, you know, I think the people in the middle that group will grow larger as well as it's becoming more and more difficult to get cars to the racetrack. I, I kind of agree more with your whole take on it, Jed. That's as, exactly how I feel about it. Um, I, I can tell you that the, the Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana guys, have you told them that they had to get their transmission recertified every five years and put new seatbelts in their car every couple of that, that happened, but and I think I think the participation in HRA is lending to, as Kenny would say, whenever you go to an NHRA race, and it's and I I don't feel this way now that I've kind of been accepted in an HRA, but when I would show up sparingly, which I obviously haven't shown up this year, but last year I went quite a bit. Um, if you're perceived as an outsider they come check your stuff and you feel like quote feel like the cops are after you you know like they're trying to figure out you know what is this guy legit you know kind of thing and you never ever get that feeling in a bracket race um i can i can honestly say there's a lot of the a lot of the rules that i think are and i don't care what safety equipment anybody wears that's it's like if you wear your seatbelt in your personal car yeah, it's a law and yeah, you're supposed to, but it don't affect, doesn't really affect me at all. You know, I don't, I don't care if you wear your seatbelt. I do care if your front tire is bolted on. I, you know, I do care, you know, if the, if, if your tires have cords hanging out of them, it's anything that could potentially impact me or someone else, you know, that wasn't involved. But if, I mean, if you want to wear fire pants, I mean, that's, that's your decision. If you, you know, if you want to, anything that affects your personal safety as opposed to anyone else's is, is what I would like to see tech or per se looked at a little better. But most of the tracks we race, like you said, you turn in your tech car and get a run sticker and everybody's cool with it. You know, it's a real laid back environment. I think that's why that group, you know, the, the people that are accustomed to it find it enjoyable. You know, it's not, it's not a Gestapo complaining kind of, Oh, that guy's seatbelts are in danger he doesn't have one of his gloves, you know, kind of thing that you get whenever you run a track that truly enforces everything. And I think it's 
it, more than people just being whiners that they feel like if they got to do it, you got to do it kind of thing, you know, like I, you were in, you were in SFI pants is not going to affect the run in any way, no matter what. But if, you know, if they were forced to buy a 15 layer suit to go faster at 749 or whatever it is now, then they expect you to, you know? Yeah. I, I race with a, <laughs> I race with a guy, a fair amount down here that's got a, a door car. And by the way, I can't give you tips on passing tech and NHRA and a dragster, but I can help you with door car tricks. I, I got those. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but I raced with a guy that raced my brother-in-law uh, many years ago. My brother-in-law Jed's, was going. Jed's go-to plan on tech is to just fog out the tech guy where he won't look at anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Smoke that sucker. But, uh, but my brother-in-law was going eight something at the time, eight eighties and and he wasn't wearing a helmet because it wasn't required. And the, the guy in the other lane was much faster than him. Well, my brother-in-law beat him and he went to the, to the track owner and said, he, he should be kicked out because he wasn't wearing a helmet. And that's, you shouldn't let people race without a helmet on. So I should be put back in. And he said, no, that's not the rule. That guy today goes five twenties in a door car and shorts and a t-shirt. But he wanted my brother-in-law kicked out because he because he didn't have a helmet on going eight eighty. So, you know, I guess we all pick and choose our our own uh, safety rules that we want to go by. Well, Chad, we all want the rules that are most convenient to us at the moment. You know, that's a really good point, Luke. I shouldn't even have brought that up. I'm probably <laughs> I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> Troy, we have, uh, we've gone a lot of different directions here with the million. Was there anything, I don't want to take the stage away from you before we move on. Was there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to, uh, to share before we move on? So we covered it all. The guys that, the guys that take two minutes to pre-stage and rip the gas after the track, I hope they understand that you're flat disrespecting people. And if you disrespect the wrong person on the wrong day, you, you may get a hundred patent reaction. You know what I mean? Not once again, not saying I'm condoning it, but it'll happen. You know, you ride around the town flipping everybody off. You're going to catch the one bad guy every once in a while. And, and just, I want to make sure that they understand that it's, it's not gamesmanship. It's not sportsmanlike. It's flat disrespect and unsportsmanlike. And I don't know, I don't know who made it vogue or cool to start doing it, but you know, let's, let's get up there and race and respect each other. Give them a thumbs up if they beat you, and, you know, and if, wish them luck, send them on their way. Oh, that's actually, go ahead. Jeff. Sorry, Luke. I was just going to say that's refreshing to hear, you know, Troy, I, I know you listen on occasion when you can, but uh, it's been a few shows ago. Luke and I basically uh, crowned you as the, the number one big money bracket racer of all time, just based on your results and certainly two and a half decades of accomplishing what you accomplish and your latest big one was a hundred thousand dollar win. But, um, you know, it's refreshing to hear a guy that's accomplished what you've accomplished, say something like that. And I hope, I hope people are listening. I hope, you know, I won't mention names, but there was a young man mentioned <clears throat> in a post by Hunter prior to all this million stuff that, that disrespected, uh, a, a very accomplished racer on the racetrack and I'm close to that young man and I want to have a talk with him and tell him look that it doesn't require all that let your talent go out there and accomplish what you need to accomplish and you don't have to show anyone up but nonetheless it's very refreshing to hear you take that approach and and certainly 
try to thwart the the mission that some of these guys have to disrespect whether it's a known racer or not it's just uncalled for and unacceptable so uh, thank you for that stance and um, and I, I certainly hope both of our listeners of the show uh, take that information and spread it out to people they know well man i, I definitely did I, I listen to you guys pretty much every episode and and uh i did hear that one and really really appreciate the take on it i mean i um but I think if anything, the main reason I reached out to Luke and wanted to do this was if there if there is a couple of people out there that truly respect me in that manner racing. And and I, I don't think throughout my career, I don't think anybody could say that, you know, my brother or I have done anything unprovoked, unsportsmanlike. I mean, we, we wait on everybody that can't start, and even try to start their cars for them, whether they're our competition or not. We'd lend parts, give parts, work on stuff and. And the last thing, the last thing you're going to hear either one of us do unprovoked is rip the gas on someone or, or do anything of that nature to rub in the fact we beat them. And I, I mean, the, the whole staging games that everybody's doing now, I, that had Randy and uproar doing the fact these guys are, are flipping the tree, trying to, trying to auto start people. And it, and it happened a few times that, you know, they actually did start the count. Maybe the guy didn't see it or he was just over there screwing around so much that it went red because, uh, the one thing they're going to have to do, and I think you guys have touched on it before, is they're going to have to do a shot clock if these guys keep just stalling to roll up there in pre-stage. I don't know if I don't know if they're just so happy to be on the racetrack that they're trying to get some track time. You know, they figure that if they by the time they pre-stage a stage, that's going to be all the track time they're getting for the day. They're going to have to load it up after that, or if they're just like waving at their fans or singing a song. But it doesn't take that long to turn out and go down pre-stage a stage and get the race on and. And uh, I think a lot of people are fine at that disrespectful. And maybe that's leading more to the kick in the gas after the finish line. If you feel like they mess with you on the starting line, you do it at the finish line. I don't know. But all of it really needs to come to an end, man. It needs to get back to, you know, drag racing of, of all sports, and especially all motorsports, are, are a family. You know, we help everybody and, and hang out all after the races. And in very, very few instances are there are groups or rivalries. It's nothing like oval track where you go to a race and a fight or go to a fight and a race breaks out kind of thing. You know, it's a, it's a whole different community and it. I would like to see it take steps to get back to, to what it should be. Well, that's uh, you've shown great sportsmanship over the years, Troy. I've, I've seen it many times, but if anyone questions the Williams brothers approach to sportsmanship, uh, Gary won sportsman of the year last year, he had a free ride to the final of the million again for the third time, and he gave it up to give his opponent what he deemed was a fair opportunity uh, to race for it and and come up short. So um, you guys obviously are great sportsmen, and, and again, for somebody that's accomplished what you have, uh, it, it just shows that, that you can – accomplish great things by doing it the right way so again thank you for your stance on that while we've got you here um we're going to transition into as you know this weekend out at the nhra national event in las vegas uh in addition to the regular national event facility festivities um NHRA will be hosting the Summit ET Finals World Championship runoff, where each of the seven division champions plus a wild card are competing for the title 
of NHRA world champion in the bracket classes. We're going to run through the roster. As long as you're up for it, Jed and I like to make predictions. We're going to pick one of the eight in each class, sure to go wrong. Uh, you probably know as many or more of these competitors are familiar with them than we are. Uh, so if you're up for it, we'd like to have you stick around and, uh, and predict the winners with us. Absolutely, man. It sounds like a good time. All right, Big Jed, we'll start in uh, the Super Pro category. So we've got representing Division One, Teresa Cumming, all the way from New Hampshire. Can you get to Las Vegas from New Hampshire? Not in one day. <laughs> I don't know if you can do it in two or three. Unless you fly. <laughs> <laughs> representing Division Two, Joseph Bagwell, Henderson, North Carolina, Hendersonville, North Carolina. Division Three's representative is Wes Buckley. Uh, former multi-time Norwalk track champion. Division four will be represented by Nick Smith. Division five, making his, I believe, third appearance in this showdown is Todd Piper. Division six will be represented by Ryan Schaefer. Division seven, Michael Brundage. And this year's wild card comes from division five. It is Mike Seacrest. Big Jed, do you have a lean? Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it looks like, Somewhat of the obvious pick. Well, none of these you... guys are from Alabama, so it's not that obvious. <laughs> yeah, good point. I can't go straight home, or I, I could go Division Two, but I, I think uh, Todd Piper, you know, is it's a familiar setting for him, having been there a few times. Obviously, a very talented racer. The trip, uh, while plenty of mileage from Wamego to uh, Wamego, Kansas to Vegas, is not a terrible ride in itself. I think all that's going to lead Todd to great results. And I'm looking for him to come out the champ. All right. You stole my thunder. I'll, I'll throw it. I'll throw it to seat up first. Uh, I'll take Buckley. The, the race is quarter mile, right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I, I'll go uh, with the, the Norwalk experience and just the fact that a uh, super tough racer every time we're, we're in the same venue, that's, that'll be my pick. That's fair. I think on paper, those are probably the two favorites. I was going to lean to Piper as well, Big Jed, simply from an experience standpoint, just because I don't, I don't know that you can mimic the pressure that that race has to bring um, outside of say, you know, late rounds at the million or a, a championship battle or like, I I've never been a part of the summit ET finals runoff. I've watched it in person a couple of times, and I mean, you just imagine you, you've traveled across the country. Now, granted, it's a, it's a huge accomplishment just to show up, but I think it's difficult to view it in that light while you're in the moment, right? Like you're, you're there, you want to win and you put a ton of pressure on yourself and you're in front of a big stage and it, they make it a bigger stage. Like, I just, I don't think we could understate the advantage of having been through that before. Uh, for Todd Piper. So I think I would go there, but if I have to pick someone different, um, I'll go Nick Smith out of, uh, out of division four, fast dragster, talented driver, uh, no stranger to the big dollar bracket scene has seen a lot of success there. Um, I'll pick Nick. Jed, you want to run through the, uh, the pro participants? Yeah, Luke, I will. Um, in division one, you've got uh, Dan Casey, a guy I know well has uh, competed with us. Very talented racer out of Thompson, Connecticut. Division two. Yeah, Tony Gambardella. Tony, another talented guy from uh, Mims, Florida. I'm sure Troy has seen him quite a few times. Uh, Doug Honstead out of Dayton, Ohio, will represent Division three. Uh, my buddy Jeff Rydell out of uh, Richland Hills, Texas, 
taking his Nova out there for Division Four. Uh, again, another very talented guy. Speaking of talent, how about this guy, Brandon Schmall from Leno Lakes, Minnesota, the Schmall family, uh, very well known for crushing the bottom and winning races. This is looking like a bloodbath, by the way, Luke. Division six is Chris Wingert out of Boise, Idaho. And division seven is Roger Phillips from Modesto, California. And the wild card, again, another talented guy that's been doing this for decades uh, that, that I know well, Benny Gossett from San Angelo, Texas. Luke, that pro category is an absolute shark tank. Who you got? Yeah, no question. Just uh, in terms of name recognition, this is the class that jumps off the page. Um, this is a tough call because you could go, I mean, literally, obviously eight, certainly like six different ways as far as people that I know that are super talented. Uh this might be a homer pick. This might be a bit sentimental, but I think he's as talented as anyone in the field. Um, and he's he's not been on this stage, but he's been on about any stage you could imagine. And give me Benny Gossett. Oh, yeah. I love that pick. Benny's a, Benny's a guy definitely capable of getting it done. The moment will not be bigger than he's capable of handling. How about you, Troy? Who are you looking at for the pro category? Just because I've seen the guy quite a bit knock heads with Hastings and come out on the on the winning side of it, which that's fairly rare. Not saying that he has a winning record against Nick, but just saying I have seen him beat him more than once. I'll go with Small. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brandon Small is a guy that, again, the moment will not be too big for him to handle. He's, uh, he's very capable in any setting. Uh, I want to to be a homer here, so I'm going to take my division, Division 2, Tony Gambardella. Uh, Tony's a very talented guy and he's he's having a great back half of the season as well so i think he's riding some momentum it's going to be a long trip it's going to be a big moment but i think tony's capable of getting in there and handle it but if i if i wasn't going to pick tony and i know i don't get two picks jeff rydale that's my man he's uh, he's out of texas good dude so uh, looking for him and uh, and i'll add dan casey that's this is all political loop this is all whatever guys. you do that don't don't straddle the fence that's all guys it's all guys that's race with me so uh, i'm pulling for dan casey too i i'd like to see any of these guys win but uh that's that's my group so <laughs> i know that I, I know that i did that all wrong but man i i gotta save face i'm gonna be looking at these guys so what about the sportsman the category like sportsman category russ wilbur uh represent division one in uh, without getting a visual, what I'll go ahead and claim is going to be the coolest car in the competition, a 66 Bel Air wagon. Yes. Yes. Division two, Michael Mockney out of Troy's home state of Florida. Division three will be represented by Cody Balcom. Adam Martinez will represent division four. Ryan Monford, uh, defending champ jet, or was that two years ago? I think it was two years ago, okay. Luke. Ryan Montford will represent Division 5. Derek Jackson represents Division 6 out of Oregon. Gary Harefield will represent Division 7. And this year's wild card, Gary Howe Jr. from Gig Harbor, Washington. Jed, that's wasn't the gentleman that you had interviewed a couple of years ago that went on motorcycle? Wasn't his last name Howe? That's not the same guy, is it? I think it was a Howe, as a matter of fact. I don't mm. know if it's the same one, but his name was definitely Howe. I have to do a little bit of research there. But I don't uh, think, Troy, I don't we think it was a junior. We haven't let you lead off. Uh, do you have a pick in sportsman? I'm going with Mike Mogney from Division Two, and yeah. uh, 
I am rooting for Tony Gambardella and Pro. He's my buddy. I am rooting for him. I just had to pick one. Um, but yeah, I, I'll go with Mike and uh, in Sportsman. Yeah, and that's that's your boy there, Mike. Uh, obviously, you got from around home for you, and and somebody that I I think a lot of. Really like Mike, and definitely pulling for him. Um, it's hard to pull against Monford. It's hard to bet against Monford. Monford's having a great year, but doing it two times in three seasons is difficult. Derek Jackson is a veteran. He's done this plenty of times, represented Division Six. I think Derek Jackson's going to take that El Camino to the winner's circle and get her done. All right, good picks. And if you guys are going to leave Ryan Monford on the table, I will gladly snag him up. Uh, he's won this before. Uh, we mentioned him a couple weeks ago on the podcast for the the heater that he had been on in recent months. Obviously, a very talented young driver from, from Wichita, Kansas. I'll go with Monford. Jed, the category that we undoubtedly know the most about. Take us through the motorcycles. <laughs> yes, these motorbikes. Uh, Division One Luke will be represented by Adam Sharon out of uh, Chester, Massachusetts. Division two from Northport, Florida is Eric Crosby. I'm sure uh, uh, Troy knows him as well. There's a lot of great motorcycle racers down there. Uh, Gareth Shepard from Springfield, Ohio represents division three. David Ball from Moody, Texas will represent division four. Division five will be Patrick Roetto from Wichita, Kansas. Division six is Frank Scally from Salem, Oregon. I've been to Salem, Oregon, actually. I've been right there at Salem, Oregon. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. And it's the like the berry capital of the world. If you like strawberries and that type of stuff, go to Salem, Oregon. Uh, Clay Pollitt is uh, representing Division 7 from Huntington Beach, California. And the wild card is Wesley Wells from Greenwood, Indiana, representing Division 3. So, that's a, that's a great list of motorcycle races. It's going to be hard to pick, Luke. Well, Jed, I'll be completely honest. I don't know a single name on this list. I'm, I'm just not <laughs> I'm just not in tune with the motorcycle Luke. community. But less for your um, your description of Salem, Oregon, as the bad that the berry capital of the world, and more for the fact that I think since we've been doing this show. Maybe it's just completely random, but it feels like the Division Six representative wins this class every freaking year. Give me Frank Scally. D6, <laughs> baby. Okay. Well, Frank's a great choice. He's a great racer. I know these guys well, these motorcycle guys. Troy, I'll let you have number two. All right, man. Well, I'm going to go with Eric Crosby, being a homer Division Two guy. But what you guys might not know is he is related to the Hagedorns. That's Candy's brother. So, of given course. their history, motorcycle division, definitely going with Eric. And I, I'm sure you probably do know that uh, Mike's also married to Danielle, which is Roy and Candy's daughter. So, uh, they may have not raced the race out there, but between going with Roy and Candy, they know what to expect. They've been they've been out there and seen the whole puppet show and all the strings. So, the start line, they'll be well prepared. Yeah, very good point and very good pick, Troy. That's probably who I would have chosen just because of my Homerism, but uh, I am going to go with Gareth Shepard from Division Three. Uh, Gareth is, uh, comes from a, a, a great family. Uh, he, he's a hardworking guy. He's got a, you know, a really nice, um, really nice motorcycle and 
I think he's going to go out there and get it done. I'm kidding. I have no idea who Gareth is. I don't know his family. I have no idea if he's even really riding a motorcycle. He's from Ohio, so it could be on one of those sea dudes that I saw when I was racing in Ohio with that big track on the bottom of it. But nonetheless, Gareth, you're my dude, man. Go out there and get it done. He may be riding his motorcycle out there, Luke. I was wondering how far you were going to go with this. You know, he's he's uh, he's got a trailer, parks in the pits, orange extension cord. I mean, I, I figured you'd get right down to how well you know Garrett. It's loud. His motorcycle's loud. Motorcycle's loud, yeah. <laughs> so let's go, Gareth. oh good stuff good stuff all right t-dub thank you so much for joining us and uh and sharing your opinions as always it was uh candid it was honest and entertaining so we appreciate you coming on man absolutely troy added a lot of color and insight to this thing and uh, man we appreciate you so much well thank you guys love the show love being on it uh hopefully we'll see you here soon sure we will I will see you in Montgomery. Jed was Jed was working on a potential uh, appearance there. there. Hey, all right, we have confirmation. We we will reunite in Montgomery. Coming out of retirement just for just for a little bit. I'll be there. Good times. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world world of sportsman drag racing shop online at bteracing.com very briefly jed because uh, as anticipated the show has gone long we've got a lot to talk about really uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the nhra points chase continues to wind down there was one event last weekend it was the final event on in the eastern half of the country division two race at rockingham and within it were some standout performances that absolutely changed the complexion of the points chase in a couple of classes. So a couple of things I wanted to touch on briefly. We've talked about Jimmy Lewis now for the past two episodes. Jimmy uh, won the national event in Dallas, which made his national event score in Top Sportsman perfect. Three wins. And I joked, I'm like, Jimmy's got a shot at the world if he's on his way to Tucson. Right? We recorded that on like a Thursday. As of Saturday, Jimmy was only in Tucson. He won Tucson. And then I joked, well, if Jimmy wants to leave Tucson and drive to Rockingham, North Carolina, only to drive back to Las Vegas, it would improve his odds. Guess what Jimmy Lewis did? (laughs) He drove his ass to Rockingham (laughs) from Tucson. Now, this one didn't end as well after, God, what is that? A 30-some-odd-hour drive? Oh, it's long. Jimmy Lewis give back the finish line first round top sportsman at Rockingham. Now that's not Look, the it, death. It's 10 hours to Rockingham from here. 
Yeah, in Birmingham. How far is it from to Tucson? It's got to be another 30 over there. <laughs> it's a ways. It's a ways. I actually made that trip one time from, from Huntsville to Tucson to race, forget this, two $2,500 races. <laughs> precious points, baby. Precious points. Oh, my goodness. Jimmy Lewis, um, Tucson to Rockingham. First round at Rockingham gives it back. Ugh. Ugh. That he gets to think about all the way back to Las Vegas, I would assume. Mm. Um with that said, that's not the death nail for Jimmy Lewis's title hopes. He had multiple races left. So the, the loss, obviously, it doesn't help him, but it doesn't hurt him at all. He is in the exact same position that I outlined last week coming into the final divisional event in Las Vegas. It is him and Paul Mitsos. I believe what I'd said last week was Jimmy had to turn on three win lights in Las Vegas and outlast Paul Mitsos to win the championship. It's going to be one of those two. A little bit better outcome in Rockingham. How about Blake Peevler in top dragster runner up in Rockingham gives him the national points lead supplants Danny Nelson. Danny's out of races. Danny will not be your 2021 NHRA top dragster world champion. Blake Peevler probably will be like, he looks really good after clutch back-to-back performances. He was a semifinalist in Bristol. He was a runner up in Rockingham. Those two deep runs give him the lead. Only Bradley Johnson now has a chance to surpass Blake Peevler and win the world championship. And Bradley Johnson has a very little margin for error. Uh, he can earn points at the Vegas Divisional and Pomona, the world finals. Uh, very little margin for error, but we were all witness to what Bradley Johnson did last year. And um, you can't count him out, right? So that's where Top Dragster is at right now. Supercomp got super interesting. At Rockingham, uh, we had detailed before there was a, a handful of racers that we presumed would be in Rockingham with a chance to surpass incoming leader Christopher Dodd. Um, the only racer that almost did that was the racer that had the longest shot to do that, and that is Ray Ray Miller. Ray Ray had to go to Rockingham and win the race to take over the points lead. Now, had he done that, uh, admittedly, it might not have held up, right? Uh, Christopher Dodd has races remaining out West. He is entered in Vegas this weekend. He could improve, but had Ray Ray won, he would have taken the lead and put in, put immense pressure on Christopher Dodd in Vegas. Well, Ray Ray runs through all the way to the final round on the strength of one of the most impressive box scores we've seen this season. Ray Ray was 22 first round. After that, his worst light, 009. His best light, 005. So it's not like he was flirting with red. He was grouping them together. High double O in, you know, one of the most pressure packed situations you could be in. All the way to the final round. Again, win the final, take the points lead. Uh, legit shot at the world championship. Lose the final. He's out of races. No chance to finish number one. Ray Ray opposite Devin Eisenhower in the final round, former world champion himself. Ray Ray, fourth out red. Live by the sword die by the sword big jet that that's not a contestant for this week's bad beat but given the circumstances given the situation it's a tough beat oh man that's a that is a tough beat bad beat awful beat um and the stakes were obviously extremely high and uh, he was on a string of double o's and i'm sure when he let go he felt ultra confident in in the let go but just obviously didn't work out for him you know, look, even when Ray Ray 
doesn't win, he's always in contention. I mean, this guy has always got a chance to win the world. It's, it's unbelievable how impressive he's been over the last four or five years in this category. Year in and year out, you're absolutely right. Uh, as I mentioned, Ray Ray, runner-up to Devin Eisenhower. Devin Eisenhower, this was his third Super Comp win of 2021. And suddenly, from really off the radar, Devin has a shot. It's a long shot to track down Trist Christopher Dodd, but he's got a shot. So as we head into Vegas and the final three events of the NHRA season, Christopher Dodd leads and I would say continues to be the overwhelming favorite. He can still improve at uh, both Vegas events, assuming that he runs both Vegas events. I think he's improving a second round loss at the national event. That's where he's got the most room to improve. Could also improve at the divisional, but he's got to go pretty deep in order to do it. However, the two racers that have the best chance to steal the title now from Christopher Dodd, they share the, last, the same last name, Jed. The Eisenhowers, Devin and Nick, they've got a long road to hoe, and they are not entered in Vegas this weekend. They're not at the national event. Uh, will they make the trip out, particularly if, if Christopher Dodd does not improve this weekend? Will they make the trip out for the divisional and then Pomona? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But again, if you're handicapping this, again, Christopher Dodd, odds on favorite. Uh, but the two racers probably with the – there's a, the, there are still several racers with a mathematical chance to overtake Christopher Dodd. But I think the two with the best chance, uh, both hail from the Indianapolis area, both share the same last name, and could presumably uh, be headed west in the same trailer. Yeah, Luke, it's, it's hard to – Hard to imagine they will make that trip with a long shot. If it was less than a long shot, it might be a different story. But I'm sure Christopher Dodd don't want to see them, and I'm not sure they're up for that trip. But that's all well and good. That's that's a great breakdown of those categories, and, and we appreciate that. But this next one, uh, this is this one's a lock. This one well, is in, in, an, in kind of an odd way because the other story – from Rockingham as it pertains to NHRA points. If you'll remember, um, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode prior, I noted that only two racers had an opportunity mathematically to overtake me atop the NHRA Supergas World Championship standings. And both racers, Edmund Richardson and Rob Kropfeld, would have to win all four of the remaining races on the schedule. Not only would they have to go to Rockingham, Vegas, Vegas, Pomona. Have to run the table, win all four of them. So I, like, with all due respect to those two competitors, I fully expected to wake up Sunday morning, Big Jed, and celebrate my world championship. Rob Cropfeld had other plans. <laughs> Rob Cropfeld goes to Rockingham, wins Rockingham. I mean, all he has to do is win four in a row. Well, you know what? <laughs> Got the first leg out of the way. So I thought, damn, Rob, like, I got to wait at least another week. Well, long story short, Rob Cropfield, in winning Rockingham, locked up the Division Three title and uh, has decided that that's a hell of a season. He did not enter the Las Vegas national event. So as much as that's kind of an anticlimactic way to clinch it, by not entering the Las Vegas national event, that's ultimately what clinches the world championship for me. It's Big Jed. It's, it's, it's over. 
your third one, Luke, your third NHRA World Championship. Uh, congratulations is a is not even a, a a good word. I mean, it's really uh, incredible what you've accomplished on that side of racing. Obviously, you you've done everything you can do in bracket racing, big money bracket racing. Won some great stuff there, but three world championships in two categories uh, and doing it the way you did it this year with a, with a dominating performance. And again, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your skirt, but you're doing a good job, of it. <laughs> but uh, truly, truly impressive performance. Even, even from somebody that I expect a lot out of, which, which I expect a lot out of you because I know how capable you are, but to do it in that fashion and to couple that with the division four super gas championship which as you stated in in the podcast or on the podcast a few times and in your post that it's more lucrative than winning the as financially it's more lucrative than winning the the nhra world championship for you to win division four from southern illinois which has a big commitment on your part as well and and has to come with a lot of confidence um this is this is your best season, your best win by far. I mean, your other two championships were impressive, but this one, again, coupling it with the Division Four championship is really incredible and one that I know is going to hold a, a very special place in your memoirs um, when you reflect back on your racing career one day. That this is a this is a hell of an accomplishment, bud. You should be very proud of this, as I know you are. Thanks, Jed. It, definitely, to your point, the, the most lucrative. Um, and yeah, like I don't want to get super um, like sentimental about this, but I um, I didn't. I had kind of resigned myself to the idea that this wouldn't happen again. Like my two world championships were awesome. Uh, although it was just seven years ago, it kind of feels like a different lifetime. Just in in terms of my life has changed pretty tremendously. Um, you know, with with kids and a growing business and like racing is just, I don't, it's not fair to say that it's not important to me, but it certainly does not hold the priority in my life that it once did. And I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that like, look, I'm never going to be on the, uh, on the cutting edge just because like, I can't eat, sleep, live, breathe racing the way that I did in my, in my twenties. Right. And, and, and early thirties. Um, but largely, as I mentioned in my post, like largely due to my wife and my sons, like it's, it's not willingness. Isn't the right words, like passion to go racing. Like they, they, for a year, for a couple of years now have driven this far more than I have. And so we basically developed a way that we could race, that we could enjoy it and that it was manageable to do uh, in balance with family life and, and business commitments and everything like that. And uh, to be able to do that and compartmentalize the competition part of it, right? To, to really, at least in my mind, bring uh, the best version of myself to the starting line. Um, despite uh, everything else that's going on in life, like I, I do think kind of what you had said earlier, like I, I'm probably more proud of this championship than I am any other. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, very cool. And then, I know you're you're looking forward to the banquet and celebrating this one with uh, all the other champions, which is a, 
a very special moment in itself. So, yeah, I don't um, know what that's going to look like this year. It's my understanding that uh, the NHRA is not going to host the typical um, championship banquet. I don't know if that's due to restrictions in the state of, of California or what. Um, it's my understanding that the sportsman national champions will be honor, honored at their respective division banquets, which um, like doesn't have the same flair, certainly, but I, I've had that opportunity. Like I've done that. I, I'm fine with that. Like that will still be fun. Um, just kind of circling back to, to, to the manner in which this gets clinched. And, and I'm, don't get me wrong. I was not losing sleep over this. I, I feel like it's most people would agree. It's been a foregone conclusion for a couple of months that I was going to wind up winning the, the championship uh, and, and had this tremendously high score, but I'm telling you, like, I, I'm a, I, I really like Rob Kropfeld, right? Cool dude. Right. Um, and I, so far be it from me to, to wish that he would travel across the country and then lose. Like, I don't really want that for Rob. But there's a part of me that's like, somebody should get beat so I win, right? Like, just by not showing up, like, I, I, that, that doesn't feel like the right way to win this. But, yeah, that's the way it shakes down. <laughs> I understand. Rob wasn't catching you, so it's all good. Yeah. All right. So, bad beat for the weekend. I, you, you told me that you've come prepared for this. You've got a bad beat in mind. You also texted me the night of the million with what could potentially be the bad beat of the season. And I think this one is most common. I think just about everybody has seen or heard this, but I think, was it third round of the million of the main event? I believe so. Jeremy Hancock lays down two total, two total in the million. Mm. Jeremy Hancock's win light does not come on. Ouch. No. <laughs> BJ, this is a bad beat. beat, not only for Jeremy Hancock, this was a bad beat for you, because if we revisit our predictions, sure to go wrong, from last week, Jed, Jeremy Hancock was your pick to win the big show, and that's how he goes out? Yeah. Yeah, my pick raced as good as anybody there. Yeah. And got exited early with a two-pack, Luke. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, my, pick my, was, my pick was Johnny Brackett racer. I'll be completely transparent. I didn't, I, I had some stuff going on Friday night. Like I didn't watch anything until the semis. So all I know is that Johnny Brackett racer was not in the quarterfinals. How, how far Johnny get? You know, that's a great question. I don't really know. Uh, I, I, I myself, I think picked it up at like 14 cars or something. Okay. He wasn't and, there. Uh, yeah, I don't think Johnny Brackett Racer was in that either. So, uh, well, I'm my sure. guy might have gone deeper than your guy, but my guy probably didn't lose with a two package because I'd heard about it. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I revisiting guess our other prediction from last week, uh, you said 270 cars in the main event. I said 313. The actual number came in right between 299. I guess I was slightly closer than you were. Can I claim victory there? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you blew me away there. I actually said 275, but, um, but yes, you still would have won. I would have been 24 away with you only 14. So your your choice was much better than mine. All right. So who is your non Jeremy Hancock bad beat of the week? My bad beat of the week was, um, 
a, a good friend of both of ours, uh, Kevin Rodden with KNR Performance, or Kevin Rodden that is KNR Performance, and uh, Kevin and his door car is Vega, which I know you have a, a special place in your heart for Vega racers and I like KNR equipped cars. And Kevin uh, was sitting on the Byron in his door car third round, which is, as you know, where you start collecting some of your money back with a wind light. So. First of all, if it just falls odd, he takes that two-hour wait through the dragsters and well, gets to a, make... It's a precarious position to be in, <laughs> yeah, though, isn't it? I mean, especially as a door car, because if you don't get the buy, A, you're going to run a dragster. B, you're probably going to run a double-entered dragster, which C, is probably somebody that doesn't suck at all. Yep. All good points. So that was where Kevin was. Kevin set his two hours in his door car and waited and drew a dragster and then kevin proceeded to be 004 take a thou oh to be a thou under oh no this he took two thou to be a thou under should have took a thou what was he thinking uh yeah his opponent was five total ouch so yeah i mean would you consider the broader ramifications of that in the million, so round money in general, and the fact that if the wind light comes on, you get to carry that buy in round four, potentially get it. Like then yeah. you're not only getting whatever the couple thousand dollars in round money, you're are probably one wind light away from the split. Dangerously yeah. close to the split. Yes. Ugh. It had so many good things that could have come of it, and only one bad, and he got the bad. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. So really bad beat for our buddy KR. Man, lots of heartbreak at the million. Yeah, it's tough. Glad I didn't subject myself to that. <laughs> All right, Luke, we got a listener bad beat. A listener submitted bad beat. Yeah, let's roll with it. Yeah, so uh, listener uh, Tim Delorio let us know about his bad beat, and I'll just read his. Uh, I'll read his message to us. It said, "I jumped in my father's Camaro last week for the second time this year." only to run the $1.1 million man himself, Steve Sisko, in the second round at Adco Dragway in, of course, South Jersey. He said, I'm double O dead on for the big fat ale. This is quarter mile racing, by the way. As he wheels me down there, putting his ride a little closer to dead on. And he sent us a copy of the ticket. Now, Tim, only for the second time all year, and he, he, he draws a tough draw there in the second round, and Steve Cisco, and he put an eight dead eight on Cisco in the right lane in the faster car, mind you. He's a, a good half a second faster than uh, than Cisco in the quarter mile, and Cisco lays him down eight take five to be dead three, and puts Tim Delorio out of the program. That's a bad beat. I mean, you lay down. Uh, excellent quarter mile run on your opponent, but unfortunately, your opponent is Superman himself, Steve Cisco, and he takes five thou on you to be dead three instead of dead eight, matching your 008 reaction. So, Tim, tough, tough break there. That is definitely a bad beat, but kudos on a great run. Yeesh, you know, I don't, <laughs> I think I like the bad beat segment, but on one level, I feel like the purpose of our show is to encourage racers to get excited to go to the racetrack. None of these bad beats 
get me excited to go to the racetrack. They don't <laughs> make me want to curl up in a ball in the corner and stay home. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely uh, does not make you want to get to the racetrack anytime soon. And, and if you've been on the receiving end of one of those, it's even more worse, Luke, and, and we all have. So I hate that for you, Tim. But let me tell you something, brother. You keep going, getting your dad's Camaro, and you keep making those runs. And it can be Steve Cisco or it can be Jesus in the other lane. You're going to get your share of wind lights, brother. You just keep making those runs. You're just fine. Manscape yourself up and get ready for the winter circle picture because you're going to be making one. You keep making laps like that. Luke, I think much like your championship run, it's over. The show has come to an end, Luke. It's over. That's all I got. That's the show. It has been. Wow. What a show, man. This might be the longest one we've ever had. This sucker was long. So if you're listening (laughs) still, thank you so much. You are definitely a hashtag loyal listener. We appreciate it. And we certainly want to hear from you. You know, you heard a lot of opinion on the show. You heard Luke and I, and you heard us go back and cover our thoughts from the previous week on the Hunter Patton situation. You've heard Troy Williams' stance on this, and it was definitely, uh, as Troy stated, it was definitely not likely to be the most popular opinion, but it was his opinion, and we appreciate Troy coming on the show and sharing it. Uh, uh, That takes uh, guts to come in here and and have a a public opinion about this whole situation. So thank you, T-Rock. We appreciate it. Listeners, we want to hear from you, too, and we know we will. Make sure you listen to the show real good before you comment, okay? Make sure you heard exactly what we said, and then comment on it, because we need to hear from you. We need to hear your take on everything that we discussed, if not everything, certainly the most important things. Reach out to us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can do that publicly, and uh, you know if you're like T-Rock and you want to come in here publicly and let everybody know how you feel, I think that opens us up for the best discussion. So do that publicly. If you don't want to do that publicly, if you're somewhere in the middle of what we talked about in our discussions, then you might want to do that through a private message. Certainly, either way, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us and tell us exactly how you feel about what was discussed on this show or any other show for that matter. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like, what you want to hear more of, or what you want to hear of, period, that we haven't discussed Luke, I know you got shouts. I mean, you, you, you've had some great stories here and, and you've had a lot of discussion about a lot of topics and there's good shouts that come from these things. Let's hear them, brother. Shouts to the hashtag loyal listener. Shouts to Jeremy Hancock. Shouts to Johnny Brackett Racer. Shouts to Rob Kropfeld. Shouts to Salem, Oregon. And as the very capital yes. of the world. Love it. Shouts to... Gareth Shepard, Big Jed, as we all know. My man. Favorite motorcycle racer in the country. Yes. Shouts to big tires in the back, pay at the gate. We can work with you on the big tires at the back thing as long as you pay at the gate. Shouts to eight dead eight and its <laughs> likelihood of beating bracket racing Jesus. Shouts to rooster. Shouts to money. But mostly shouts to money. Shouts to number two. And did I say shouts to money? You and did that. say Shouts to money. But this is money the person, not money the paper or the object or whatever it is. Shouts to Music City money. 
Awesome, Luke. That was really excellent shouts. That was a, a wonderful job by you and uh, enjoyed every one of those. And listeners, Luke and I also are very active on Twitter. Make sure you reach out to us there if you'd rather do that as opposed to the Facebook page. Tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We want to hear from you early and often. We thank you for listening to this very long show. We're glad you're still with us. Make sure you tune in next time because we can't wait to talk to you about more Sportsman Drag Racing real soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.